Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the MDG uh, Rants Podcast. I uh, Just giving a fair warning, everybody, I'm a little under the weather. I'm going to try to push through this, but I'm not going to probably be my normal self today. And I'm probably going to have some some mental lapses along the way. I, uh, I've been very under the weather for the last like 12 hours. And this is the first time I've gotten out of the bed today and like did anything. I thought I was going to be the under the weather one. I got my first uh, vaccine dose on Wednesday morning. But how's the, how's the arm? I feel fine. It's been, you know, I, I was worried getting it that Wednesday. So I, I, the option of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're recording this on a Friday afternoon. Uh, and I took Wednesday because I didn't want to get it the day, the morning before a show. And then I was, then I remembered once I signed up that, that everybody says it takes a day for all the, like, yeah. the negative symptoms to kick in. I was like, fuck, I should have done it Thursday. And been fine that day, and then you know been sick Friday. So I was worried all day Wednesday that I was going to wake up Thursday feeling like shit and not be able to do verses. Uh, and, and you were just fine. Yeah, I, I played tennis that morning. Like that's that's how I fine I was. I hate you so much. <laughs> I, like for me, I think I like I think I overblew it a little bit. Like obviously my arm was sore, like in that area, like specifically in that area. You know what I mean? Like in that muscle, and like yeah, you know maybe a little bit more into like the rotator cuff area, right? And then. I was, like, mostly fine, but it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy thing. You're like, oh, I'm going to feel bad. I'm going to feel bad. So, like, even the most remote, like, not normal feeling, you're like, here it is. This is the end. This is this is how it this is how it happens, you know? And uh, I don't know. It's just, like, I just got – I think I, I said that I just got fatigued way easier. Like, that night, I was just very, very tired. And, like, you know, I felt like I had gone and worked out all day or, like, I had went and gone and played tennis when I normally don't, you know? I was definitely tired yesterday. But I also haven't slept very well this week, so I just kind of assumed same. that was it. Big same. Like, I I think I fell asleep at, like, 4.30 or 5 a.m. this morning because being uh, – I'm not going to give the details, but being ill kept me up all night. And then uh, I woke up early this morning with the same thing continuing, you know, woke me up. And so I've been, I've been dealing with that, but I think we're okay. Uh, if the show sounds weird at any point, it's probably because I had to do some editing because I had to leave the room <laughs> during the show. So please, please bear with us. Um, I, I actually injured myself worse playing tennis than I did from the, the, the COVID vaccine. Shot. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you I, do? I came forward to hit a, a ball around the service line or so. And on my follow through, I meant uh, I basically kicked my own leg out from under me. That like sounds like my, something I would do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, just ate shit on the five. It was five minutes in, and I've what learned. What kind of court fr- are you on? Hmm? What kind of court was it? Just a normal hard court. Okay, so and, it still didn't feel great. But oh no, I was on. I was on the ground for a solid twenty seconds. My yeah. I landed basically on my right hip, and I also, like an idiot, broke my fall with my wrist, which I've got to learn not to do. Well, I keep doing it. It's like impossible. I think that's yeah. impossible not to do. Yeah, but like you, yeah, you got to like reprogram your brain somehow. But you know, I'm not going to sit there and just fall over and over again to try to train myself to, like, to fall correctly. Yeah, it's like have you have you heard the thing where they talk about like uh, how you're supposed to if you if you know you're about to be in an accident like in a car or something like that you know a fast moving object you're supposed to go limp. Have you heard yeah. about this? You're supposed to go limp, and it's like you're less likely to break something or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. Any person in the world who's in like a fifty mile an hour moving car, they're like they see a wall or like a pole or another car, and they're like, "Let me just relax, you know? Yeah. Like, let me just let everything's me just fine." You're mostly like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> you know, like your first reaction is just like literally like your whole body tenses, and and that's you know where a lot of the injuries and stuff come from. Besides the the physical like of two things trying to occupy the same space, <laughs> yeah, and, and like have their matter be in the same space, and like the laws of physics will aggressively fix that for you if you try to if you try to do that. So. So, uh, yeah, so the vaccine's fine. Now it's been, you know, a little over two days. I got it Wednesday morning and, you know, my arm really doesn't feel anything unless I kind of, you know, push, you know, apply pressure to the area where the shot was. You know, I'm happy that you're not having any of the side effects. You know, I had minimal, so I can't really say anything. I will say this. I hope the second one beats you up really bad. <laughs> There's like part of me who's like vindictive. It's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Whatever. Obviously, I hope everything's fine. Whatever, but, um. Yeah, whenever we're both getting our second shots, because I'm getting mine in like, uh, what, what is today? Today's the ninth. I'm getting mine in like a couple weeks. Because uh, I did. I, are you the four week or the two week? It's four or three, and I'm the three. Okay. I, I got the Pfizer. I thought one of them was. I thought one of them was two weeks. No, but Pfizer's anyway. three, Moderna's four. So I'm I'm Moderna's. So I'm four. So like I have a you know a little bit while, a little while still to get mine. It's all it's on the fridge, so I wouldn't lose the card because I'm really bad about that kind of thing, you know, and stuff. So yeah, that's smart. Yeah, it was like that or put it in my wallet, which I don't ever use. So like, and don't like my wallet is like I I don't leave the house. So like <laughs> your, wall, your wallet's there for show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My wallet's there for show. Um, I was gonna say I I've been in a much better mood over the last week because I'm a little more entertained per day. Uh, baseball's back, so I'm just I'm I'm a much happier person during baseball season than I'm when it's not baseball season because you know especially when you're at home you know like. I've been trying to read again lately. I see the Band-Aid on your wrist, by the way. I didn't see that before. There's the, the tennis injury. The, yeah, that the, the, yeah, this was from tennis. This is not, yeah. Obviously, you don't get the shot on the wrist. But... Yeah, I'm aware you don't get the shot on the wrist. Yeah. yeah I, but, I, uh, I, I scraped myself up nice and good trying to break yeah. my fall with my wrist. Yeah, I mean, what, what would be an MTG Rants episode without us talking about A, being old and getting injured, and, and B, talking about our respective sports teams? Um, very interesting week, opening week for the Atlanta Braves. You know, we were... You know, very close to making the World Series last year. A lot of, a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know, real high hopes coming into the season. Some you expectations know, like, for some, the first time in a few years. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, last year there was, but this year, like, you know, they finally won a playoff series and, like, they won multiple and they looked really good. And, like, we were actually beating the Dodgers. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we're the Dodgers. You know, we're the best <laughs> team in the game. But we started out 0 and 4. And. Is that good or not good? I'm going to go with the not good camp. <laughs> um, and so it was interesting. So uh, we've we've now played six games, and we're we're two and we're two and six. Or I'm sorry, two and four. All right, so we've won the last two, and I've watched every inning of every game. Obviously, like I haven't missed it. And I try to not be a homer. You know, for anybody at home, you know the the people that like make excuses for their team, and then like you know everybody else sucks, kind of thing. Like. Oh, you got lucky to beat us. It's like, no, you outplayed us. Like, we played bad. Like, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. you might make excuses, but they're like valid ones. Like, you know, we did not play well here. We did not play well there. And you did. So, therefore, you won, kind of thing. You know, you try to be realistic. Yeah. Sometimes, like, when you say we didn't play well, it, like, it can come off as, like, as an excuse. And that never really made sense to me. It's like, you're literally saying, yeah, we didn't play well, which you're like, most of the time is true. <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> It stems from, like, a lot of people take it, and it can be taken this way. Sometimes it can be meant that way. It, it takes away from the competition. It's like, oh, well, you didn't have to do much anyway to win. And, like, you that's not what they're trying to say. They're trying to say, like, we didn't play our best. And so, like, yeah, you deserved the win. You know, like, you got the win, you know, et cetera, in magic and 
you know, baseball and whatever. But I will say this, and this is actually statistically provable in baseball because they have ways to do this. We were by far the unluckiest team in baseball during the first week. And everyone's like, how the hell do you quantify luck in baseball, right? Well, there's some ways that they do it. And obviously, it's not foolproof. Like, I don't think there's any foolproof way to quantify luck. You know, of course, you know, oh, he hit a one in a billion. Like, of course, obviously. But um, there, there's a few stats that, um, you know, uh, I say a few stats. Baseball has more stats than any sport, right? Yeah, but there are ones that, you know. Tell can... a deeper story. Yeah, there are ones that, like, over the years, we've figured out, like, team you, players and teams don't really have a ton of control over. You know, like uh, batting average on balls in play, exactly. Uh, home run to fly ball ratio for pitchers mm-hmm. usually stand like usually gets now to ten point four percent or so over the course yeah. of a large sample. I'm really glad you brought that one up because that's like one of the main ones we're going to talk about for like two seconds here, and I'm just, I'm going to try to explain it as easily and as quickly as I possibly can. So, uh, batting average on balls in play means um, whenever a ball is batted into play, obviously, like someone hits the actual ball. Uh, the batting average the, the player has. So this doesn't this doesn't take into effect when it's you take don't out strikeouts and home runs. Yeah, and so I like, guess foul foul outs. Yeah, whatever whatever doesn't actually put the ball into play. So this tells you how often they get a hit when they hit the ball into the field of play, right? And there's there's things that that affect this, right? You know, like you know if you're against a better defensive team, you know they they cover the ball, you know they cover the field better. You're going to have a lower it's it's BPIP is what people call it, batting average on balls in play. Um, your pitcher's better, et cetera, et cetera. Like there, there's ways to affect this. There's also ways to look at this. There's like corresponding stats. And one of the big ones that's come out in the last few years is, uh, exit velo or exit velocity. And so generally the harder a ball is hit, the harder it is to field, right? So like if you have a very high average exit velocity, you're, it usually does a direct correlation to higher, uh, batting average on balls in play. It's just a, that just makes sense, right? You know, I hit the ball harder than you do. By a considerable margin, therefore, I'm going to have more hits than you do, because like you know, you're going to field the ball less, you're going to get to it, and you know, like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so the defense has less time to get to the ball because yeah. it's coming at them faster. Exactly. So we lost the Phillies three times, right? Like we got we got swept by the Phillies. By the way, one of the more overrated teams in baseball the last like five years. But I do think they actually have a decent squad this year. Anyway, if you look at the batting average of balls in play and the exit velocities in the series, uh, Atlanta. During that series, like versus everybody else in the majors, we were third or fourth in the entire majors. So we were one of the hardest hitting teams in the majors, which is what our team actually excels at. We hit the ball fucking hard. You know what I mean? Like they, they make good yeah. contact. You know, Sometimes good you hit the ball hard right at people. Yeah. And you can have what's called an expected batting average on balls in play. So what they expect you if you hit the ball at this velocity this often, you know, where you're expected to perform, like in a general area. And we underperformed that by like, 200 points which is a lot <laughs> yeah on a batting average so instead of hitting 300 we hit 100 you know like etc cetera, etc cetera. and then if you go on the other end of the spectrum philly's uh exit velocity was second to last they were like 28th right like they were and it was evident watching it you're like how are all these like things turning into hits they're barely touching the ball you know what i mean like they're literally like hitting thinker it was like watching a, a game in like the late 80s early 90s with like you know, they all, all the infielders had, like, no power and would just slap the ball around and hope for the best, you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. That was the entire series, right? And so their, their expected batting average on balls of play was lower than what we actually produced by under by underproducing by 200 points. But their actual batting average of balls in play was, like, 
third in the league. So they overperformed by like 200%, and we underperformed by 200%, and it was still close. Like, we barely lost these three games. So it was miserable to watch from like a fan point because you're just like, you know, we're hitting line drives right at people, or, you know, like, you know, stuff's just not working out well together. Um, the wind really, like, it was really windy one day, and like, there was two balls that, like, off the bat, you're like, those are home runs, and like, they were caught pretty easily in the outfield because they had like 20 mile an hour winds coming in from like left field in one of the games, and it was, you know, directly into, you know, two of the players. You know, just like little things like that. And it's like, yeah, you're nitpicking, but like, at the end of the day, when you look at that stat, it, it's like, calm down. I know we're 0 4. This is still a really good team. They're, they're just not performing the way the way they're yeah. supposed to. This is why you play 162 games, you know. So yes, that stuff just evens out over the over the course of the season. Yeah, it's just and statistical it's, variance, and like it's going to really suck if like something weird happens, and like you know, there's a really close race, and something gets decided by a game or two, and you look back at this where you're like, well, we got extremely unlucky here. But like you said, it's a really long season. Yeah. The team is still you, very, very talented. You, you'll have games where you're on the positive side of that, you know, over the course yeah. of the season. It just you you just so happen to get the negative variance early on. And, you know, it, it you, you got to, you, you can't let that affect you too much. And that like, there are things like this in every single sport, you know. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you know what one of the biggest, you know, game-to-game variances is in basketball? It, it's just shooting percentage, especially three-point percentage. It turns out de- defenses don't have a huge impact. There, there is some, you know, I think uh, on, on wide open threes, the league average is about 39%, and that's no defender within six feet. Open threes where there's you know no uh, no defender within three feet I think is the the mark you, they shoot like thirty six percent and if it's contested they shoot like thirty three percent but out, outside of that you know th- there was just variance in how your opponent you know sh- shoots that night you know which you know is a, a good segue into the Jazz's week you know they're setting records this year for three point shooting. They're, they're second in the league in percentage. At least they were. On a, they might be lower after this week, um, but they're all they're shooting at a much higher volume than the Clippers, who are number one. I think the Clippers take like thirty four threes a game. The Jazz take forty three. So in yeah, you know, n- nine more game, yeah, they they have the through fifty games. They had the most threes you know, in NBA history. I don't think they're going to set the record for most threes in a season because this season is ten games shorter. Um, but and those Rockets teams a couple years ago with Harden and Chris Paul took a million, but. You know, no no team has ever taken as many threes as this Utah Jazz team takes and made a percentage that they're making. You know, there's no team in history that, that matches both marks. So, you know, historically good shooting. And this week, where Utah had to play against three other playoff teams, it was Dallas early in the week, Wednesday night on ESPN with Phoenix, who are the two best teams by record in the NBA. And that was probably the best game of the regular season so far. And then, yeah, it uh, felt like I'll say this: I didn't watch a lot of it. Like I said, I barely took any NBA in, but I, you know, I saw the reports and watched a little bit of it. It felt like a playoff game for sure. Oh, yeah. And then uh, last night they played Portland, uh, so you know, a, a pretty tough stretch. They shot under thirty percent from three in all three games. That's not good. Yeah. How do they do? They went one and two. They beat Portland. <laughs> they went one and two, and they're positive overall in point differential because they yeah, lose by lose by eight, lose by four in overtime, win by nineteen. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So a kind of fr- frustrating week, especially the the Phoenix game. Like they they shot so poorly and it still went to overtime and they barely lose. They lost mainly due to to rebounding. They gave up like 10 offensive rebounds between the fourth quarter and overtime, which is really rough. And it's it's frustrating for me because the the narrative going into the game is that 
Phoenix matches up well against Utah because they have two guys who take mid-range twos at a high efficiency, Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And they made a, they took and made a good number of mid-range twos, but that's fine. You know, you you basically have to shoot a ridiculous percentage for that to be good offense. You know, and if you're if you take out transition, which is you know really where you score uh, at a high rate, half court offenses usually average like 100 points per 100 possessions, like a point per possession, which means you need to shoot 50 percent to be about average for twos. And most people for long two shoot like 40. Just don't do it, yeah. Yeah, they shoot yeah. like 40. Now, Devin Booker and Chris Paul shoot about 50, maybe even a little over that. So that, like, they're... Yeah, they're elite, yeah. Yeah, they're, but they're, like, yeah, like, two of the five or six best mid-range twos. Uh, but they, like, never get to the rim, and they also shot pretty poorly from three. So their half-court offensive rating in that game was an 81, which is awful. But they got out in transition, and they got so many offensive rebounds that they, they were able to win. And the Jazz offense was heinous because they couldn't make a fucking shot. So, you know, it seems like every time the Jazz lose a big game, the narrative comes down to the problems on their defense for whatever reason. And it's I think it's mainly because people don't like Gobert. And it's almost always problems with the offense. Like, yeah, a couple of years like a couple of years ago, they they when they were losing to Houston, they lost to Houston with Harden two years in a row in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah and the narrative was always. You know, James Harden and Chris Paul destroyed Rudy Gobert. And it's just not true. If you just look at the numbers, it made no sense that anybody would say that. And the problem was that Utah just couldn't score. The The Houston would switch every pick and roll and stop Utah, the ball from moving. Utah's always played a ball movement offense. And they left Ricky Rubio and Jay Crowder to shoot threes and just and let them bad. shoot. And yeah. they're like, yeah, they're both not good shooters. And they shot, yeah. Utah shot like they're under 30% they're, on wide open threes. Shooting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're good players, but uh, you know they just let them shoot all series and couldn't. N- nobody could make a fucking shot. Uh, but yeah, so one and two, Utah still. Uh, it was it's funny because after losing to Phoenix, their lead for the number one overall seed was down to a game and a half, and now Phoenix has the tiebreaker because they've won both games against Utah this year. There's one more actually in a couple of weeks, uh, but you know even if Utah wins, Phoenix will have the tiebreaker. So you figure like game and a half back. And we have the tiebreaker. It's pretty close. But then they both played on a back-to-back last night. Phoenix lost to the Clippers. The Jazz beat Portland. So leads back up to two and a half games. Utah's now back at home for, I think, four games in a row. And they're playing pretty like good got teams. It, yeah, it feels like you got it in your own hands. Like, do well at home and then beat Phoenix when you play them. You should, you should get the number one seed if all things stay even. You know? that's, that's basically what this last... You know, we're, we're about a little over two-thirds of the way into the season. And... At this point, it's just please keep the number one seed. Yeah, because there's seven really good teams in the Western Conference. Uh, it used to be six, but Dallas has been coming on recently. So getting the one seed and being able to play against eight, who it's they're doing this weird play-in tournament. So not sure who's who it's going to be, but it could be like Memphis, it could be Golden State, it could be San Antonio. Uh, like I would, you know, the Jazz would win those series probably in no more than five games. Uh, but Dallas or Portland could be uh, a, a lot scarier, especially well, Dallas. Yeah, d- yeah, Dallas and Portland each have a player that they, they can win a game single-handedly. Yeah, they, they'll, have the, they'll have the best player in the series, for sure. Dame and Luka are both better than, than Rudy. Uh, but the I'm, Portland, I'm, I'd be less scared of just because they can't fucking play defense to save their goddamn yeah. lives. But yeah. d- Dallas, you know, uh, Dallas would be tough. Uh, last little thing before we move into the magic for whatever uh, you know, fantasy baseball started for me. I, 
I've got four teams this year in very competitive leagues, and it's a lot. Like I, I haven't made the mistake yet where you know I've I've made a move in one league thinking it was another, mostly because it's three different programs. Thank God too, but the two teams that are on the same program are very similar because I had like practically the same pick, so it's like hard to deviate too much, and like. I've definitely had to like make sure I'm like, all right, so I, I I will double check my work. I'm like, what team is this one? Okay, before I make a move, let me make sure this is the right <laughs> right yeah. league, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I have the I have the uh, I have the option for a crazy name drop this week. So in one of my leagues that I've been in for a while, there's a few Magic players in that one that people might recognize. And uh, I'm in like a crazy matchup this week where. Uh, my opponent will be winning versus practically every team in the league, but they are losing by a significant margin to me because I am destroying this week. Like, my team is just going off. And uh, it's Eric Froelich, whose team is also very, very good and will be very good this year. Like, uh, when the the draft is done, the program itself, like, does grades, and I got an A+, and Eric got, like, a, like an A or an A- or something, but I do think his team is very, very good. So we'll have to see what happens. And then uh, Paul Rietzel runs the league, you know, another Hall of Famer. He runs the league, and he 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 gives his own handwritten report after it every year. They're they're a delight because <laughs> anybody who knows him and his sense of humor, it's always great. So, uh, you know, he's always got like a little shit talk for every team. Then he gets to his, and he's like, "Yeah, obviously mine's great. Y'all are all stupid." <laughs> whatever and stuff. So, so How are uh, they still in the pack? <laughs> yeah. So my yeah exactly. So my friend, one of my friends is in the league. He and I, uh, we like to have a little a little laugh to ourselves every time he loses or whatever. And my friend's playing him this week in a really close match. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, let's go ahead and move into some oh, magic. Hold on, talk. I want to sh- talk about oh, fantasy sorry. baseball. I'm oh, also oh, in a close match. I'm currently winning five four three. Uh, that's very close. Yeah, that's, that's we're, sequential numbers. We're we're tied in saves, steals, and home runs. By the way, saves is quickly becoming the stat that I think I hate the most. I just hate the stat. Anyway, go yeah. Ahead. Oh, it's awful. Uh, and uh, I can I I actually wish I should lobby for this. We should change. We should change from saves to holds. Well, or, or you hold, change hold, to holds it. plus saves. I'm doing that in one league right now. One of my leagues we're trying it out this year. One of the stats is saves plus holds. Yeah. And I gotta say, I'm actually kind of enjoying it because it makes more players relevant. You know, you yeah. have like more bullpen arms relevant, like not just the the 30 guys in the league, you know, the one dude in the, in the league. And let's be real. So usually not even that high of a number because like the turnover rate is so high. It's hard to make sure you get a replacement for your closer. If your closer gets hurt and it takes away the, like the need in like early rounds to be like, well, I guess I should try to draft one of these closers because this is an established guy who's going to keep his job all year. And there's like eight of those. Yeah. The, the worst is when you've got, you know, a, a closer on a bad team and they trade him midseason to a contender yep. and he becomes a setup man. And you're just like, well, yep. I guess I'm fucked. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. That's actually a here's a little small insight. One of my things in fantasy baseball is a few weeks before the trade deadline, before rumors start happening, I start shopping my, my closers. Like, like I have the Florida Marlins. I'm sorry, the Miami Marlins closer this year. And like, you know, I know they made the playoffs last year, but let's, let's be real. They probably won't this year. We'll see what happens. But you, you get what I'm saying those kind of teams, right? You know, like the Torontos of the past and stuff. And like, if I have their closers, like right before the trade deadlines, I'm like, hey, anybody need a closer? I got this guy. I'm willing, willing to move him because like, I'm willing to take the risk. You know, yeah, they're good. And if they stay there, they still get the stats. But like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. so, so I'm up 5-4-3. Those are the three categories where we're tied. 
I'm winning the five other pitching categories, and I'm losing so the four other hitting hit. categories. Yep. My team is currently hitting 166. <laughs> I have a team like that so far where, like, all of my guys are, like, slow starters. I'm like, uh, guys, you need to actually hit the ball with the bat. Yeah. <laughs> we need, the, we need the that to happen. The good news is that when they, when they hit the ball, they hit home runs. My team has yeah. 12 home runs in 39 hits. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's actually a lot. The truest out, the truest of outcomes. (laughs) Yeah, we're basically we're just at. I'm just a team of Adam Duns over here. Yep, love it. So you know, it's it's the first week of of fantasy baseball. It'll happen. Hopefully, they start hitting the ball. But the pitching has been good, and that's nice. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. I think I, 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 we talked a little bit about it going into the season. I think it's the thing you had to worry about the most is like this is the most strange season ever. You know, coming off of COVID and like six, only playing sixty games last year. Like, are these pitchers really going to pitch a full? Se- we'll we'll see what happens. I think a few will, and then like most of the rest are going to get tapered off. So, I, I getting do good have, pitching is going to be difficult. I do have two pitchers on the injured list in the first week of the season. I guess Gall- Gallon got injured during spring training still. Yeah, uh, yeah. but it was after it was after I drafted him, him. and then. Okay. Uh, and Eliezer Hernandez went on the injured list in the middle of yeah. uh, after his first start. So yeah, that's that's not promising, by the way. That one I'm I'm a little worried about, but we'll see. Oh, well, that's a tilt. I haven't even looked yet. Uh, I mean, like I'm you know I don't know anything more than anybody else, but like when they come out like mid start and stuff, that's kind of scary. You know what I mean? Oh so. Jesus! He's yeah. gonna. They said he can resume playing catch as early as Friday. That's not a. Yeah, that is not promising. Well, that's 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 better. That's better than him being shut down. But anyway, true. Let's go ahead and move into some magic. I guess if we if we must. Yeah, and so we're gonna we're gonna try to finish up the spoiler as much as we can today. I mean, I'm I'm sure we will. Uh, Ross is gonna kind of lead the discussion today because I've been kind of out of commission for the last few days and haven't really been putting in a lot of time and effort into this. So I'm gonna try to you know keep up as much as possible and, and help out. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what I can do. And then, uh, and then next week we'll have our our set review show where you'll get our top eight lists. And, and do I really have to pick eight cards out of this that are good? Because I don't. I I gotta say, Tannen, I've I, the set is definitely you know underpowered relative to the last two years, mm-hmm. but I've come around on a on a couple cards good. after playing ver, playing them in uh, in verses, and, and in particular the is it cards. Ooh. I think I think the blue and red cards are the best in the set. So, you uh, know, I like that. Yeah. You know, we've I, you know been, I'm ready to draft the set, man. We're only like a week away from the set being out. Yeah, we've been, we've been casting a lot of magma opuses on versus live to good effect. The the best the best named card in the set, I'm pretty sure. Like the, the set, I, I will say this. Yeah, everyone talks about how wordy this set is. I got to say the names in the set are amazing, especially all the like school related stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I love multiple, I love all that multiple stuff. choice. You know, yeah, yeah, just like really good names, but. I, I am very mad that the art on Eureka moment is not someone sitting in their bathtub. Yeah, I remember you talking about this uh, yeah. last time. Come on. Uh, so but, but Magma I guess Opus it, is probably my fa- one of my favorite cards in the set, if not my favorite, just because of the name. Yeah, and we've like we've been casting it. We, uh, you know, you make so many treasures, or I think I, I cast it... Did I cast it off of Jodzi? It was in the deck, I, and I definitely cast it during the match that we played. I'm just I'm not sure Which if one's I... Jodzi? Jodzi is the eight drop that mage crafts and you reveal the top card of your library. If it's a an instant or, or if it's a, a non-land, you can pay one and cast it. And if it's a land, you put it on the onto the battlefield. And so I was uh, it was a deck from Yeoman Five I played yesterday where we were Luka in Jodzi onto the battlefield. And Ooh, then, you know, like casting that. spells. It was kind of a ramp deck too. We had uh cultivates and stuff like that. And 
Uh, you know, Alrin, Alrin's Epiphany was a good card to hit. Uh, as it turned out, the Luca part and Jodzi part of the deck was the worst. <laughs> it just it just being like a mid range ramp deck would have been better. Um, but I did hit some cool stuff off of, off of Jodzi occasionally. It was just awkward where like normally when you're Lucaing a creature onto the battlefield, you're tapping out for the Luca. You're, you're casting it turn four, turn five, and tapping out, and you're putting a creature onto the battlefield that's going to have some huge immediate impact. But Jodzi is just a five five. You can discard a card to return it to your hand, and there's a reverse side of it that's like a weird ramp spell. But uh, you know, it's just a five five, and you're kind of hoping that your opponent like doesn't interact with it, and you just get to untap because you've got to you've got to cast a spell and then still have a mana left over to pay to cast whatever spell you hit off of it if you if you're you do hit a spell, and so you know, I found myself trying to like wait on the Luca until I could then like cast it, have three mana up to play a two mana spell, and then you know hopefully hit something, and even that's not guaranteed, so that that was awkward, but I was still just like casting mag hard casting magma opuses and, and doing cool stuff. Um, the, the key card in that deck, though, and something that I think might be even, you know, in older formats might be real, was Emergent Sequence with Luka. Uh, so Emergent Sequence is a colorless green sorcery. You search your library for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield, tapped, and then that land becomes a, a fractal, a 0-0 zero, zero, uh, Simic fractal creature, and you put a plus and plus one counter on it for each land you add enter the battlefield under your control this turn. So... You know, Rampant Growth is a card that they don't put into Standard because it's very powerful. You know, su subtly powerful. But this is, a, you know, this is a Rampant Growth that sometimes it's going to be an upside that it becomes a creature. Sometimes it's going to be a downside. You know, sometimes you know, you're going to be able to cast it after putting multiple lands onto the battlefield. You know, I was doing things uh, like, you know, playing Eureka, like, you know, playing my fifth land, playing Eureka Moment, putting... Fable passage onto the battlefield, sacrificing it, then casting Emergent Sequence and having a 4-4, four -four, uh, you know, uh, over the course of, of verses. But sometimes you're going to just play it on turn two and, and your opponent's going to stomp your land and you're going to feel bad. Uh, but an interesting card, a powerful card, but one that goes really, really well with Luka. You know, you think Luka and Transmogrify, you're usually having to take a turn off to do something to get a creature or token onto the battlefield. Cast Omen of the Sun, uh, Cycle Shark Typhoon, and, you know, play... Um, uh, Birth of Melitis, any of those kinds of things. Emergent Sequence not only ramps you, especially you know, leads right into Transmogrify, uh, or ramps you into the Luka, but it creates the you know creature along the way. So really, really strong card with those, and I think just generally a good card. You know, the, b between Fable Passage and other ramp spells, you know, uh, you're able to make three threes and four fours with Emergent Sequence pretty easily. Uh, and at that point, they become somewhat difficult to kill. You know, four four. Sometimes they can heartless act and remove three counters, but once it's a four four, they can't do that. Once it's three three, they can't stomp it, uh, and stuff like that. But uh, definitely a card that I've been happy playing with. I actually I played a, a sort of teamer landfall ramp deck uh, at, with it and won a game without drawing a ramp payoff. Like I was playing Phylath and Emergent Ult and not a, uh, and Genesis Ultimatum. Literally didn't draw those cards after keeping a hand that was heavy ramp, but I had three emergent sequences and a Quandrix uh, cultivator, and I ended up just making four big creatures and like killing my opponent's stuff. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> and I, I gotta say it's, it's actually one of my my favorite cards in the set. And I can't remember if we talked about this on air or off air, but I talked about that card and Quandrix cultivator quite a bit because you know they're different than what we've seen for ramp in the past, where you know if you draw a ramp of growth on like turn six or seven, it's not very good, right? Or you know, you could do it, but if you don't have payoffs, like you're you're putting a bunch of mana play and you have nothing going on with that kind of stuff. But 
this is kind of like a twofold card, right? Like it can ramp and be a threat. So it's like a little more versatile when it comes through a lot of the turns. You know, Quadrus Cultivator being a 3-4 for four mana that goes and gets a land and puts it into play. It combos well with all these other cards like you talked about. So like it's a threat while also ramping you. So I feel like it makes your deck better overall where you have like less air in some spots and like less just all payoffs where, you know, you might draw. You know what I'm saying? I think your draws are going to be like technically smoother overall. Yeah. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think we did this on air because that's where I got the idea to build the team or a landfall ramp deck, right? Uh, and, I, and I built it. And my, it cool. my big, humongous brain. Yeah. Um, so let's see there. Have we talked about Silver Coal Silencer? I'm not sure uh, if we have. That one, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I do have like, can I can I like go off subject for like half a second? Or like yeah. it's on subject, but like off It's topic? MTG Rinse Tannin. That's on brand. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'm thinking about you know the top eight episode for next week, and we're in like you know we're talking about this card just now, and I was like it's probably gonna be my top eight. Like I like it a lot. I like that kind of spell. How mad are you gonna be when one of my top eight cards is from the commander set? Uh, furious, because it's probably gonna happen. So I'm warning you ahead of time. So. I don't even but know anyway. what the commander set cards are. I tried we'll, to. We'll talk them. about. We'll talk about one of them in particular because I just like I read some of them because I actually I think I might buy one of the commander sets when it comes out because I do think one of them is going to be worth money like it's a good investment because I think it has like multiple cards in it they're going to be very very expensive possibly and I'll t- I'll talk about that in the show in a second too if we have time or whatever but there's a card in there that I had to read like four times and I still think I'm like maybe we should you know give this one some time but anyway what was the what was the name of the card you were talking about from so, the actual spoiler silver cool silencer. Is a, a human cleric for a black and a white. It's a three-two. As it enters the battlefield, you name an online card. Right. Whenever an opponent casts a spell with the chosen name, they lose three life, and you draw a card. So it's sort so, of like a meddling mage. I, I got to tell you this, and this this is you know right down the thing you're saying. When this card got previewed, Brian Basoko immediately called me. Like didn't text me, called me, and he's like, "Bro, you know," because he's like a humans guy. You know, he loves the humans deck, and. Um, I gotta say, I, I like this card a lot. Being a 3-2 two for 2 mana is really big. You know, it being able to do a little extra damage to your opponent's fine. It doesn't stop them from playing the card, but we have a lot of ways to look at our opponent's hand that go along well with this, too. Like, the new PVDR card looks at their hand and stuff, too. So, like, there's a lot of interesting, um, you know, curves going along with this card that are pretty good. But it, it being a 3-2 two for 2 is, I think, kind of getting overlooked. The fact that 3 power is so much more than 2 power. Yeah, I think you when you think about hate bears, you think about struggling to actually apply pressure to your opponent, and Silver Coal Silencer is not going to do that. Yeah, they like they can't they can't beat one trade Armadon. Like literally, one trade Armadon beats the whole deck. But anyway, good. Yeah, so uh, I like Silver Coal Silencer quite a bit. I've played it in a few decks in Standard. Definitely think it, it has a home in Modern Humans. Um, you know, could this? It could just push Kite Cell Freebooter completely out of the deck. It's been it's teetering. You know. Uh, you, sometimes you see it, sometimes you don't. And I, I would definitely just try Silver Coal Silencer completely over it. Um, and, and just, you know, kill your fucking opponent. Killing people is underrated. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I hope so. I hope nobody clips that out of context. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I just thought about that. That could have been really bad. But... Um, okay. Uh, so moving on from that, next I want to look at the two Orzov removal spells. And why it's really fucking weird that they're both in the same set. Uh, But Fracture, they're both instants for a white and a black. Fracture is destroy target artifact, enchantment, or planeswalker. And then Vanishing Verse is exile target monocolor permanent. Um, 
Now, normally I would be kind of excited for a card like Fracture. You know, Disenchant is generally just a, a good magic card, and this is Disenchant Plus. But Vanishing Verse is completely overshadowing it for me. There's just so many targets for it, and it exiles, it deals with creatures, which is really important. So, you know, uh, Fracture, I, I would say, is like not mostly not a main deck card because it doesn't hit creatures, and you basically right. want all your removal spells to hit yeah. creatures. Vanishing Verse, however is very much a main deck card and is, you know, a draw to being Orzov. You know, both of these cards make a lot of sense in any sort of Niv-Mizzet deck, uh, yeah. but Van Vanishing Averse, uh, I think, is generally just one of the better cards in, in the entire set. I, I, got, I think I got to agree with you completely about both of them. I think Vanishing Verse looks like it's going to be very powerful, right? Like, it just jumps off the page. It's two-mana removal spells, and it's a, it destroys a creature. Or, I'm sorry, a monocolor permanent. Yeah, at first I was only thinking creatures. I keep forgetting this can kill planeswalkers too, which is a big deal. This kills, you know, enchantment removal spells, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, a lot of things. Can't kill artifacts with this card, which is kind of awkward, and a few other things like that. But I, again, I think you'll be fine uh, when you have these in your deck. You'll, you'll kind of compensate for that kind of weakness. And I don't think this is a card that you're going to, like, slam dunk play four of unless, you know, monocolor decks are really popular, which... I expect people to play a lot of like one and two color decks with the mana being worse in the future, the lands be being not as good, and the uh, the mana looking kind of crazy in a lot of these cards. So we'll see. So this might be good enough. Um, when it comes to fracture, gotta agree with you. I, I don't see myself like main decking this instead of unless the format is extremely crazy. But I will say this: when I see cards like this, this reminds me of like the first time I read a braid, and I'm not saying this is going to have the effect that a braid had on non-rotating formats, like on eternal formats, but this is a card where I will say this: the, the 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 mana cost is probably the most prohibitive part of the card. Like being black white, there's not a lot of decks that exist now that this can you know be cast by. If that makes sense, you know what I mean. There's not a lot of decks that have black and white mana in them that are really good in Legacy and Modern. Obviously, there's you know I'm there's there's one or two here or there, but it's not the most common color you know uh, combination. But this is a card that lends itself to being along the lines of a braid where. This does a specific thing, but it does it very well, and it covers a couple other angles. So this is one of those cards that, you know, I think we've talked about this before, that can free up a sideboard slot somewhere, where you're like, you know, I had a disenchant in my sideboard, and then I had, like, something else in my sideboard to answer these kind of cards, and I might be able to just play one of those two now because I have Fracture. So now I have, a, you know, a free sideboard slot. Yeah, if your deck. Yeah, if your deck could cast Disenchant but has black mana in it, why would you not play Fracture? Unless, like, you're trying to kill Stone Cold Serpents or something. You know, someone was joking about that. They're like, oh, this card's, like, really good. And I was, just, and someone just, like, posted a picture of Stone Cold, Stone Coil Serpent. I can't say that word. Um, or whatever. And I was like, yeah, don't forget that. That's one of the 18 lines. Like, that card looks like it belongs in this set, by the way, with the 18 lines of text. Oh, yeah. But No, they, uh, I, I think that might be the card I have to, like, remind Corey about more than any other on versus live you know he, he often tries to target it with with multicolored cards and i'm just like nope so i, I cube <laughs> a lot right like for for magic arena and it's you know it's a card in the cube and it fits in every deck and i can't tell you how many times i've either lost or almost lost a game because i'm just like oh yeah shit <laughs> like, like i forgot this has reach or i forgot this has trample or i forgot his protection for both you know you forgot one of the 17 abilities of the card or whatever so yeah Speaking of multicolor cards that can't target uh, Stone Coil Serpent, next up we're going to stay Orzov with Humiliate, a card that I think is uh, 
not getting hyped as much as it should. Real quick, by the way, really good segue. That might have been like your best segue ever. I'm, I'm so proud right now. But anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, so it's a white and a black sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose an online card from it. That player discards that card and put a plus one plus one counter on a creature you control. Um, so immediately I'm reminded of Castigate because I'm old. And I remember when I, Castigate I was reminded, standard. Yeah, I'm Im- immediately reminded of Castigate too. But uh, uh, again, my mind immediately goes to Silver Quill Silencer. And, you know, the, the PVDR card. And these cards, like, there's a lot of ways to be aggressive in black-white with some hate bears and some interaction and removal this this is kind of shaping up that like this might be a thing yeah i pl- i played an orzov aggro deck the other day on versus it was you know like mono white aggro but splashing for silver quill silencer silver quill command uh humiliate and i feel like there was something else but i can't remember um and you know the important thing is to play a lot of one drops you want to play go one drop humiliate on, t- on turn two put a counter on my on my one drop get max value uh and, and the white deck certainly can do that um, and I, it's easy, I think, to overlook putting a plus one, plus one counter on a creature you control, but you got to remember things like, you know, think, think about essence capture that in mono blue, you know, how great it felt when you put a plus one, plus one counter on one of your creatures it really helped your clock, you know, even something like, um, a vapor snag. You know, Unsummon is has not really been a, a playable magic card in standard when vapor snag was around in blue white delver. You know, just getting an extra life point out of them every time you cast it when you drew multiple copies or snap cast them, you know, you ended up dealing probably three extra damage to your opponent. And that, you know, that made a difference. Yeah, and it makes a huge difference, right? Like we've we've seen cards in the past that this is this is practically this is practically a reprint, right? This is all this is pretty much castigate and it is added on an extra line of text. And that card was a playable magic card in the past, and you know, power creep, whatever, like this card just makes it better. You know, I'll even take a step further. This might be really important in some matchups where, you know, if you're, especially if you're playing a deck like we envision with this, you know, with some cheap creatures, like this can help keep your stuff from getting stomped out of the game. Or you know, heartless you put acted. Or heartless acted. Yeah. I was going to say, this card, like, and I didn't even think about heartless act until you just mentioned it. And now I'm like even higher on this card than I was before. I remember seeing this card and just being like, this card's great, right? Like, yeah, it, it, it sucks if, like, this is what you need to do in your control deck and you, like, don't have a creature target for it, but you're like, you know what, I'll just play Castigate. But I, I think this card's great. Not to mention, I'm A, looking forward to, and B, not looking forward to playing this in paper or, like, in having fun with it and being like, oh, that gets humiliated or I'll humiliate that. You know, all the little funny things you can you can do with the card names. Yeah. Important to note also that the, the plus and plus run counter does not target. So if you have you know two or three creatures onto the battlefield and you cast a humiliate, you know you don't have to show your, tell your opponent which one's getting the counter until after you get to see their hand and take it. Um, you know, so you get more information to make your decision. They get less information. Yeah, I, I like everything about this card. Yeah, I, I this is easily going to be on my top eight. I'm ass, I'm assuming yours as well, but I think this card is very very good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, we have some cards that have a million lines of text because they're in the set, and that's every card. Uh, Mavinda Students Advocate. So oh, this one is this is like the craziest card I've seen in a while. By the yeah. way, two and a white, two three, legendary bird advisor, flying, pay zero. You may cast a target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that spell doesn't target a creature you control, it costs eight more to cast this way. If that spell would be put into your graveyard, exile it instead. Activate only once each turn. Uh, so. 
Importantly, it's not activated sorcery speed. You could do this on your turn and your opponent's turn. So you get two per turn cycle uh, if you're targeting an instant on their turn, obviously. You know, very clear that this is going to play well in sort of heroic style decks, right? Yeah, this is the new feather. Like, yeah. this is the new feather light card, yeah. If it, yeah, it definitely feels a lot like feather. They play out a little bit differently, you know, mm-hmm. Mavinda is going to be better when you're, you know, empty-handed and you top deck it because you probably have cards in your graveyard you can recast. I think Feather is better as a better turn three play. Um, so a little bit different, but they're both legendary, and I think they're close enough that I would want to try a split so that you, you know, you'd rather draw one of each than two, two of either. The thing I like about Mavinda is that it's a lot easier on the mana. Like Feather being double white is a little awkward. Uh, yeah, that's and, a very restrictive casting cost, and this one is just super simple. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, the you, a little bit downside with it with it being a little smaller, but I definitely think it slots in there. I don't really think it finds a huge a home, basically in any other kind of deck. Right, you need to be playing a good number of spells that target your own creatures, and heroic decks are basically the only thing that does that. But it's a nice tool for them. Yeah, it's, it seems pretty sweet when you can do it, you know, once on your turn, once on theirs. So you have cards like Defiant Strike, uh, God's Willing, you know, a lot of cards like that. So I see this card possibly showing up in a historic deck, maybe. Uh, maybe if there's enough stuff uh, in this and in other, other, uh, other sets for standard, maybe, you know, to spawn something new. Like, whenever I see this card and I look at it and they put it at the Mythic spot as well it's not just a rare i'm like all right maybe you know because they, they do miss on mythics obviously right but like there's generally a reason when they give something the mythic uh stamp that like they don't want this turning up a lot you know so uh i i have high hopes for this card what's the one mana four damage to your thing two to my thing removal spell reckless rage or something yeah like that? that's it i was i kept thinking reckless charge in my head and i was like that's the odyssey card with flashbacks yeah that yeah. card busted. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so a Reckless Rage works really well with Movindas. You still have that third point of toughness. That's a really nice one to cast on their turn, you know, and, and recast. So um, yeah, it's a cool one. I, I want to see someone pay the eight. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was actually thinking about that. And I was like, there's going to be a game on camera. I could just see like Cedric and uh, Peace Ellie sitting down and... They're like, man, they flooded out this game. They like just keep making their land drops. And it's like, it's incentivizing you to like actually make your land drops because of the weird scenario happens where like, you know, a, a game gets super late. Like you're going to need to be able to pay this eight possibly on this one drop. So you're like, I'll pay nine mana, give my creature plus one plus zero and draw a card. Sounds like a deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got to so do what you got to do. Next up, we have Mila Crafty Companion. This is a double face card. So it has... It, it, each side already has a wall of text, so there's two walls. Yeah. So one white, one white, white, two, three, legendary fox. It says, whenever an opponent attacks one or more planeswalkers you control, put a loyalty counter on each planeswalker you control. And whenever a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. And the reverse side is Luca, Wayward Bonder, four red, red, five loyalty, Luca planeswalker, plus one, you may discard a card. If you do draw a card... If a creature card was discarded this way, draw two cards instead. Minus two, return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Exile at the beginning of the next of your next upkeep. And then minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. So 
Interesting card. I don't think I would be interested in either half of this card as a standalone, but it's nice that you get both because, you know, Mila is a card that you is that loses a lot of its power as the game continues. Uh, but it's really nice to be, you know, play on turn three and then pairing that with a card that is going to get better as the game continues. Uh, you know, uh, I, I like quite a bit. I, you know, I've said it a lot, but I like when the double face cards, you know, each half covers the, the weaknesses of the other half. Uh, but I don't really see, like, I just don't see an obvious home here. And I'm loving hearing you say that. I don't know if you see the grin on my face, because I think it's possible. I think it's a non-zero chance that Luca's the most powerful card in this set. Wow. And I'm going to tell you why. And I don't think it's just from face value. You're going to kind of hate me, but I don't think it's just from face value. But I do I do think the card alone, the red, the red part of it, though it is six mana, which is a lot, uh, does work better than i think it is you know like especially once the format slows down a little bit i think this card's gonna be great it, like the, the abilities all work well together it also ultimates really fast but I, this is why you're gonna hate me do you know what the next set is um is it the D set i think it's the D set do you know what the set is after that the next two the two after that are the innistrad sets i'm going on a limb here and i'm gonna guarantee something i'm guaranteeing madness is in that set and this card might be really good with some of the stuff. Maybe not the best card in the set. I might be getting pretty hyperbolic here. This is a six drop. But uh, I have a feeling there's going to be madness in that set or something along the lines that, that does some stuff like this. And I, I think this card has an opportunity to shine later in the year. Is it, you know, Learn lets you rummage too. So that would work with madness. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have some really cool, interesting... Here's the thing. This is the kind of magic I like and I want to happen. I want the cards to be slightly underpowered like like this, you know, on the surface. But then when we see the whole picture, everything works together because this feels like a block. You know, it feels like the cards work well together because we ha like, you know, you've complained about it. I've complained about it. We haven't actually seen that in a while. You know, you see like learn come up and you're like, oh, this is really cool. But it's one set of learn and there's only one set of lessons and like. You know, maybe that's enough, but for some stuff, it's not, you know, like, you know, yeah, we got enough rogues in, in the one set that rogues were in, right, you know, to make a deck, but we had like some smatterings in other places, like, you know, they, they sprinkle in some stuff here or there, you know, but I'm hoping that the abilities from the sets can kind of build on each other a little bit, not in the, in like, this is just broken all together, but like, I want some, a synergistic deck of i don't know i like magic when my deck is slightly underpowered but all my cards are cool and good and work well together that's that's my kind of magic so. yeah no i, I agree i love i love doing stuff like that i i'm i just never spend any any time speculating about what's coming in in you know later sets so that's just the first time i've ever thought about you know madness coming back i've got a good track record when it comes to it because i don't do it very often and like i'm usually like it, it's well i again i knew snow was coming back and called him. I was like, "There's no way. There's not a snow thing in this set." Like just looking at it, I was right there. So, uh, I'm gonna go out. Of, I'm gonna go out a limb here and say we're getting madness in that set. So, well, we'll, we'll see. I am uh, definitely not gonna remember the... this, but hopefully, someone mm -hmm. you know. Oh, you know, in, I will in our in our Discord or something remembers. Are we talking about the green card next? I like the green card. Is that gnarled professor? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, this is a two green green five four tree folk druid has trample, and when it enters the battlefield, you learn. Is this like the best like learn card we've seen for constructed so far? Besides, I... besides maybe the the random two one, you know, the, like the random yeah, two one creature that might just fit well. Yeah, it might I kind of like Retriever yeah. Phoenix. 
uh, maybe we, okay. which is you know right next to this on the on the list. But it's, we'll get that, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, to me, gnarled professor as a four drop that you know just kind of trades with Lovestruck Beast. I'm not really impressed uh, because I also just I ha- we've played a little bit with Learn and I just haven't been impressed with the mechanic itself. Okay, you know, the, the cards you get are just really underpowered and not things you want to spend time casting. The, I think the the only time I've the only time I've seen it work well was the other day when Corey played the the Golgari Elder Dragon, you know, un, uh, untapped all of his lands, then found the found the X spell that returns a Planeswalker, destroys a Planeswalker, returned his Professor Onyx, and uh, m- you know minus three that to deal with my Jodzi in one like ridiculous turn, and that was more the power of that Elder Dragon than you know the learn stuff. So just magical Christmas land, yeah. Yeah. You know, I gotta say... Oh, wait, he, he, he hit the Elder surface. Dragon off the top of his deck with a Vivian, too, by the way. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, amazing. Yeah, Gnarl Professor looks good on paper, like, when you look at the card, but when you start thinking about the format and context, like you said, it, it trades of Luxshark Beast. I actually really don't like the way that this card lines up against Bonecrusher Giant, either, because a lot of the ways to put this into play on turn three are creature-based. You know, you have, like, a, you know, you have, like, you know, some some enchantments that ramp you, but you have, like, you know, creature uh, creatures as well that ramp into into the four drop on turn three. And so your opponent just, like, bone crushes your, your creature if they haven't already that produces mana, and then the four three body itself, like, yeah, you're gonna take two, but you're completely okay with this this exchange. As it, as it stands and as it goes. So um, maybe, like, again, this is one of those cards, you know, if there's a green beatdown deck, maybe there's somewhere in here where, like, you have a sideboard card you want in some matchups, and, like, this, this is just better than playing the sideboard card. Or maybe once Throne of Eldraine rotates out, this is a card that we can kind of look at. <laughs> you, <laughs> that's the tagline for the set. Maybe once Throne in of Eldraine Yeah, in the time vault. I mean, here's the thing. Real quick, MGV rant time. Like, have you have you seen like how much discourse there's been about that? Like, you know, people talking on Twitter and stuff. Like, can we just rotate it already? Like, maybe we made a mistake in changing the rotation rules yet again to make it you know sets like last longer. Because when this happens, when you have this one set that's so much more powerful than the other ones, it kind of dominates a field for too long, and it leads to like the situation that we're in, where like, yeah, you know, like here, I've, I've seen people talk about the numbers of standard and how it's good, right? You know, like everything's like fifty two percent and stuff. It's great. But at the same time, it's so fucking boring. Yeah, it's the same shit we've seen for you know a, a year it's straight. So boring. Yeah, like I just don't. I just have no interest in playing. Like literally none. But maybe that's a problem with me. So I don't know. No, but, I'm I'm with you there. Like it, you know, we just haven't had the new cards make a, a significant impact. Mm-hmm. And speaking of new cards that might make an impact and learn, like you said, you think that Retriever Phoenix might be the best one for uh, constructed for learning. Yeah, so it's a three and a red two two Phoenix with flying and haste. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, learn. And as long as Retriever Phoenix is in your graveyard, if you would learn, you may instead return Retriever Phoenix to the battlefield. Uh, so to me, with how bad you know, with how bad the lessons have been, or how maybe how disappointing they've been, being able to do something like recur the creature. Um, m- is attractive. It also ensures that you have that you're not going to run out of th- right. ways to you know gain profit off of learn triggers if you put a bunch of them in your deck. Um, I like how they combo with themselves. You know, w- w- the, when the first phoenix dies, you cast the second and return the first. Uh, yeah, and, and that stuff so that that it's internally synergistic in in that sense. 
The one thing that I'm disappointed with is you can't choose to discard and draw with your learn trigger, discard a retriever phoenix and return it. Um, yeah. Though I guess, you know, it says instead. So you, even if the, it's not just a timing issue, but this, this is a card that I've been, I've been trying to make work. I haven't really made it work yet. Um, but, you know, it seems to me that getting a 2-2 flying haste creature is better than getting a lesson. So uh, I, I like it, you know, I like having that come along. Yeah, I actually knew you would love this card because I subtly love this card. And it kind of reminds me of Arclight Phoenix and the fact that, like, you know, it comes back for you doing what your deck wants to do anyway. And I do think that there's a possibility that there's a red-blue deck or something like that in this format where you just play a bunch of these and you're playing practically, like, red-blue control with a bunch of spells and stuff. And then at some point in time, you know, because, like, you're going to be learning... And, like, as the game goes on, you might be, like, filtering through your early draws to make sure you hit all your land drops. And you're like, all right, I'll draw, discard, discard my Retriever Phoenix, draw, discard, discard my Retriever Phoenix. And then you play, like, there's, like, the three-mana draw card learn, like, instant or whatever. And you can do that. You can also start doing this, like, uh, in the middle of combats and stuff, too, right? Like, this isn't just, like, a, a, a combat trigger on your turn, like Art Light Phoenix. Like, you can do this. Yeah, so if someone, like, attacks you, you can, like, middle of combat, I'll learn instant speed and put uh retriever phoenix onto the battlefield the problem the problem is it's like it's not like art lake in that like if you have multiple arc lake phoenixes in your yard you play three spells you get all of them like it's it's always one for one right the way it works yeah because it's a replacement yeah. effect so you have effect, to choose so yeah. which one you're going to replace with and mm -hmm. but this this is one of those cards i'm probably going to lose a lot of wild cards and or games uh trying to figure out if it's good and mess around with it it just, again just depends on like I don't know if we have enough cards that are good enough f that learn, but maybe, and, like, there's so many ways to copy spells, too, that, like, maybe that's what you do. You're just, like, churning through your deck, churning through your deck, like, doing a few things, and then you're just like, all right, play this play this card that, like, learns or whatever and copy it. Like, do two things and then return two phoenixes from my graveyard. So maybe that's more magical Christmas land than we need it to be, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm very interested. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if the tools are there right now, but that, that's a card that, you know, if it doesn't work now, it's a card I'll revisit basically every preview season. You know, is this, is this the card that makes this playable? Is this the card? Yeah. Are, are we back? Maybe they just make you wait a few years, kind of like they did in Historic. Like, you could play your, you could play Arkley Phoenix again. Yeah, yeah. Well, ev eventually. Eventually, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, um, I'm like going. I'm going black. Uh, bla I'm going back through the uh, through the spoiler and I look at all the like you know cantrips or the the random like red blue spells that can that can learn and stuff. So there's there's some decent instants, but like none of them are really good. So yeah. Okay, moving on. We have Sedgemore Witch. This is a two and a black three two human warlock. Okay, why why have we added warlock as a as a creature type? Do they just know want wizard tribal to not be you know too good yeah maybe there's one in non-wizards in the wizard set i don't know it just it just feels very strange to me especially when we have the fucking party mechanic so you just look like they just decided like you know what these cards aren't going to work with party go fuck yeah. yourself because they, they've been they've been trying really hard to make more stuff in party like lately like you know we've been seeing more creature types especially the party creature type so yeah, it does seem weird and non-consistent with what they've been doing. Because it, it, it well, and because of that, it, it has to be intentional, right? So like, mm -hmm. was party oh yeah, for sure was party too good when these cards were wizards? I don't I don't see a card that's a warlock that would be like push party over the top. You know, right now party is unplayable. 
So it just doesn't make sense to me. But regardless, it's a 3-2 menace. It has Ward, Pay 3 Life, and Magecraft. Whenever you cast it or copy an instant or sorcery spell, create a 1-1 black and green pest creature token with when this creature dies, you gain a life. Uh, so, you know, sort of like a, a young pyromancer. It's a little bit more expensive, but you get a better body. You get a better, you know, uh, a better trigger because the, the, the tokens gain life when they die. Uh, but when you're talking about young pyromancer, it being two mana instead of three is a huge deal. Oh, absolutely. And there's been some hype behind this. I think like Ari Lax wrote an article about this deck. I mean, this this card being in decks in like multiple formats and stuff like that. So like this is this is a card that I think there's going to be eyes on it right away. You know, there's there's a couple cards every set that come out that like, you know, we're like, oh, yeah, this one looks good. We'll build around it. And then we don't know if it's going to be good or not, you know. And and I, I have to agree with you, three mana versus two is such a big difference. It's so hard to, like, double spell quicker. Because, like, you want to double spell as quickly as possible with this, right? Like, you want to make sure you get value off of it right away. Yeah. And it's not just a... Uh, it, it's not just the difference on the surface. The, going from two to three mana also means that Sedgemore, which can't be played with Lurus as a companion. Which oh, like that's actually the, really... Yeah. yeah. You know, like what you think about playing this in a in a deck like Rakdos Arcanist, you know, you basically can't because you're not going to give up Luris for it. But you know, so I don't I don't see this card in older formats. I don't see it making any waves in Pioneer Historic Modern. But it seems to me like it it could do some good things in Standard. You know, we've got the Rakdos decks with Village Rights and uh, Claim the Firstborn, a good number of you know one mana spells. Uh, Sedgemore, which is is going to play well with those. The, um, you know, your the Rakdos decks do want to be a little bit more aggressive, so that ward ability is going to pay off. The body is nice, you know. The, the going from two to three mana isn't as big of a deal in standard as it is in the in the older formats. So that, that I I just want to play you know claim the firstborn and village rights with Sedgemore Witch, but I also want to play claim the firstborn and village rights with everything. Yeah, it's just a good combo. <laughs> so, yeah. so so I might be biased, uh, but definitely a, a cool one. Hopefully we can uh, we can we can get these Rakdos decks sort of back, uh, you know, doing good things because they've been basically out of the metagame this season. I don't know what's up with my explorer, like my browser or what, but this card doesn't. I, I know the card exists, like I've seen it in other places. It does not exist on my spoiler somehow. I just You're getting I, uh, I, Mandela affected. Yeah, yeah, because like you were like, yeah, I don't see this card, and I, I want to interrupt you, be like, I don't see it at all. Like, I just don't see it. The card does not exist on my spoiler. Okay. Well, that means we'll move on uh, to what another interesting learn card. I haven't played with this one yet. Uh, I'm not really sure what to do with it, but it's kind of cool. It's a Poet's Quill, one in a black equipment. When it enters the battlefield, learn. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has lifelink, and it equips for one in a black. So two to cast, two to equip. You get that learn. Uh, I know I've... I remember watching Aspiring Spike stream the other other day, and he was talking about the potential of Poet's Quill as a Stoneforge Mystic target, so that you can you know turn Stoneforge Mystic into like you know a wish, um, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, plus one plus one and Lifelink is not bad uh, as as an ability, but this is another card that you know I read it; it's kind of cool. I think uh, Black as of the has the best lesson. The, you know, X in a black, destroy a planeswalker, return a planeswalker lesson is probably the most powerful one. So I I like that, but I this is another card that I just, I have no idea, you know, what to do with it. Like, what is the home? I'm not just going to slam it into, like, you know, a Rakdos deck or some, some aggro deck. I've, I'm, I want to have sort of a plan with it, but I just don't know what that plan is going to be. 
I think that's what's going to come down to it, right? If there's a good enough plan with it, if there's a good enough thing to go along with it, then yeah. And the fact that it's black, I think, you know, leans it toward having the the biggest upside with you know having the best lesson. And again, if you know there's like there's another card maybe that you know fits as a cyborg card, then this card might be good enough. You know, I will say two to cast, two to equip is a lot. It doesn't lead itself into like fitting in with curve out draws too much. You know, generally you need like two and one or one and two kind of thing. But I don't think it's a prohibitive cost. You know, to be two and two, and like you said, lifelink could be kind of big, especially in like if this is the kind of matchup where it's like mid rangey or creature based. You know, you're gonna you know creature's gonna get bigger. You're gonna have lifelink, and you might go get something that either kills or planeswalker or like returns yours or whatever, which is going to be you know game breaking. I'm assuming in those matchups, and you got to kind of like wonder um, if if the format plays out this way, like how do you time this spell too? Because if the uh, the black white decks, which I think are going to be good and popular, if they're good, uh, are gonna interact with your hand quite a bit. You're know, gonna take cards from you, name cards that you can't play. And stuff too so like that's another thing too where if people are learning in this format the new pvdr card is like pretty damn good because like they put the card in their hand and you're like all right well you just can't cast that card or whatever now or you can like take it from them you know you could like name the card from the silver quill silencer so like you know we keep talking about cards that reveal their hands but there's also more to this format of just like it's pretty cool right because it's like it's it's a school setting right like you're supposed to learn like you're supposed to have knowledge and you're getting knowledge from all these different areas and stuff so like i love I'll say this. You can say whatever you want about the set being underpowered, about there being a fucking novel on every card, but the overall, like, theme and, like, minutia, like, all, every, the flavor, it's very, very good. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Callous Blood Mage, uh, a card I like quite a bit, though I think I might be overrating it. But it's two and a black, two one, a vampire warlock. When it enters the battlefield, choose one. You can create a pest token, 1-1 uh, one, one, when it dies you gain a life. You can draw a card and lose a life, or you can exile target player's graveyard. So a nice little, you know, versatile creature. You can generate a little card advantage. You can generate multiple bodies on the battlefield if that's what you're interested in. You get some, you know, main deckable graveyard hate to deal with escape cards and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I like, you know, sort of modal cards like this, and it's reasonably efficient you know you can get three power for your three mana you know getting two power and drawing a card r reminds me of like a land war visionary obviously you don't get the you know the, the ramp aspect as well but instead you get some versatility that said i tried this card in a, in a racto shell and it came away a little bit unimpressed and unfortunately the threes spot on the curve is really um you know filled there's woe strider there's Sedgemore, the Sedgemore Witch now. There is Timurit Calls the Dead if you want to fill your graveyard for escape cards. There's just a lot going on at that point of the curve. Uh, comparatively, there's there's basically no good two drops ever. I really, ha like, I, I imagine those things are also intentional, and it really, that it just makes me angry. Because, <laughs> like, I, I it, you, you effectively, like, make interesting cards unplayable while also, you know, making decks much, much worse because there's just a, a very obvious hole on the curve. Um, but this is just a cool card. I hope it's good. I hope it sees play. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit lower on it than I was, say, a week ago. Uh, yeah, like, so the card itself reads well off the page, like, for the casting costs and stuff. Uh, it being a 2-1 is, like, whatever. If it's a 2-2, two -two, it's practically the same thing as a 2-1. Being a 3-drop is rough. Like you said, 3 mana, I think, is where I was like, I'm not so sure about this. I do think, however, this might be a good card in Historic. 
the mono black vampires deck in historic has been pretty good and like putting up decent results. And this is something that you can put up as like maybe a one or two of in your main deck because you don't want to mess with like the synergy of the deck too much. But you can put it as a one or two of in your main deck where like this card's not embarrassing because against like control decks, you can either draw the extra card or put the extra body in play, right? You know, to get get some more, you know, threats in play or against the, the graveyard based decks in that format, which there, there's quite a bit. You know, you have this like main deck card that's part of your plan that also helps shut down your opponent. So like this is another card I think could show up in historic for a, a little bit and like specifically like that deck. Yeah, no, I, I'm that that makes sense to me. Um, you know, I'm not sure what it's replacing, but definitely a card. Yeah, to look exactly at. right. Yeah, yeah. This, I mean, maybe this is a card that like maybe you don't have it main. Maybe you have like two or three of them in your sideboard, and the matchups where you want it, you're like, all right, this is a card that you know it's just good. You know, it's it's not game breaking like some of the sideboard cards are, but like you don't want to. It's you know, anytime I've ever played an aggressive deck that has like you know, four of the sideboard, like, rest in peace or something like that. Like, you're always happy to have one, like, on curve or draw at the turn you need it, but the games where you draw, like, two of them or, God forbid, three of them or it's in your opening hand and you don't really have, like, you need to keep it, but then your hand doesn't function super well, those are really frustrating, right? Yeah. So this is a card that isn't going to do that as often. It gives you you that disruption without hurting your threat density, which is really important. I remember, uh, you know, a few years ago when I got the top eight, in Richmond with modern elves, my if you look at my sideboard, it's like a bunch of lead the stampedes for control decks. Uh, you know some uh, some different creatures to tutor for in in certain matchups, and then I played sort of just one of a bunch of really powerful sideboard cards. You know, I had one one rest in peace, one stony silence. You know, oh, just just one. Because I was like, you know, uh, all I ever want to do is just draw one. I never want to draw two. I, of course, played Affinity five times in that tournament and drew Stony Silence many, many times. <laughs> so yeah. all I need is one. Why, why, would you need, why would you need more than one? Yeah, if you're draw it. Like, why do I need more than one? Yeah. Like, I remember uh, like I remember, I played in a, a... This is a long time ago. I played in a uh, a Legacy event. And I, I don't know if you remember this one because, like, I don't know how good of friends we were at the time. But when I first moved to Vegas, not when I was just spending time, a lot of time there, when I first, like, actually moved there... Um, I was talking to my friend Jonathan Job, and I'm like, man, I'm not looking forward to this drive. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's rough on yourself. And I looked in the weekend that I was trying to figure out like when to go, there was an open in Dallas. And Dallas is like on the way, right? Like that's the ideal way to go. You drive up to Dallas and you just go west, right? And so I was like, hey, I'll buy your flight, fly to Dallas. I'll meet you there. We'll you know play the event, and then we'll just drive to Vegas. And Job's like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in, right? He had one condition. In that tournament, and you can go find this one. This one, this one, I got, I got a coverage art, uh, coverage match, a feature match. I had to play the deck, and this is the two day open, you know, the two one day opens. I had to play the deck he wanted me to in Legacy. So it was the like first non Delver deck that I played in like a big event. I registered basic lands. I played Food Chain or whatever, right? And my deck had one Null Rod in the sideboard, literally one. And I played against Affinity in Legacy, right? With like the full on, you know, Legacy, uh, I'm sorry, Artifact Lands, like everything, blah, blah, blah. And I turned one a Noble Hierarch, turned to a Shardless Agent into the Null Rod. And then my opponent like didn't fully understand what Null Rod does. So I had to explain it to him and then we had to call a judge. So there's that awkward moment where I'm like, yeah, you like can't even cast spells, man. I'm like, I'm sorry. You like can't tap your lands for mana and stuff. So it was like super awkward, but like, 
I was like, man, why would I ever play more of this card? I've got, I just feel like I've got one. I'm just going to cascade into it perfectly. Like my deck's great. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so who needs, who needs anything else? Yeah, why would you ever play two? People need to, they need to embrace singletons more. That's like a, that's a thing <laughs> in magic. Embrace the chaos. Yeah. It, you know, because like, do, do you do you remember looking at deck lists? You know, what, 10, 15 years ago, and you'd be like, "Why is there this one of you know random that's so bad? Like, why is there four of this and four of that? Like, we didn't understand." You know? Yeah. Like, it's it's a matter of opportunity cost and diminishing returns, and I, it gets into. I think a lot of people get into that mindset where like, "Well, I want to draw it, so I've got to play you know several copies," but. You know, it's not about always having it. It's about having it more often when it's great than when it's mediocre. And when you're drawing multiple copies of certain cards, they become really mediocre and, and sometimes even a liability. So you got to balance those two against that, each other. When you make that like your invitational card, it's a split card or whatever, like the, in the old vein, where it's like the two names that make sense together, it would be uh, opportunity cost and diminishing returns or something <laughs> along those lines. That'd be sweet. All right, what's like the next it. one you want to talk about? Okay, just a couple left here. Uh, let's talk about the Golgari, or I guess um, Witherbloom. Is that the, the... Yeah, because it's Belladros. The Elder Dragon. The Elder Dragon, yeah. So Belladros Witherbloom is 5 black green for a 4-4 four, four legendary Elder Dragon. Has flying, of course. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a pest token, and you can pay 10 life to untap all lands you control. Activate only once each turn. Um, so... The body is not much, you know, 4-4 four, four Flyer is fine, but not great. You know, this is not a card that's going to dominate the skies. It's the same size as Goldspan Dragon and, and those kind of things. But This should have Vigilance, by the way. <laughs> Continue. I just had to throw it out there anyway. <laughs> for, for the few of you, the few real ones who are understanding what I'm saying, you, you got it. It's a good joke. Go ahead. Uh, but, you know, it's pretty powerful to be able to essentially cast this card and then untap all of your lands and do other stuff. Right. Uh, and then you're you know you're getting this cascading advantage with the the verdant force ability making it a, a pest token each upkeep. Um, you're not going to be you know untapping your lands a ton. It's really just that first turn when you cast it. Uh, so you know I've, I've basically seen it cast against me once. It was incredible. Uh, I wasn't playing a very aggressive deck. You know I was playing a ramp deck. Obviously this is not going to be a great card in aggressive matchups where you often just can't pay the ten life. Um, but that I mean that's really powerful. So I'm kind of interested. I think right now standard is a little bit too aggressive for it. You know, the mono red, mono white, you know, Embercleave decks and, and things like that. Um, but the, this is this is a card that I think is is being a little bit underrated right now. I think it, it's easy to just look at seven mana four four flyer and be unimpressed. Uh, but unt untapping all of your lands is um, it's it's really good. Yeah, I think this card jumps off the page, right? Like that last ability, pay 10 life, untap all land you control. I, you know, you can only do it once, whatever, obviously, because they don't want you to go infinite. But uh, that's a scary ability, right? Like think about cards in the past that untap all your lands. You know, some of them have been banned, you know, we've or should have been faster than they were. Uh, you know, to give Wilderness Reclamation. I think of like Sword of Feast and Famine, you know, some of some of these kinds of things, which I'm sure someone's going to build that deck in Commander, by the way, is, is Belladros with Sword of Feast and Famine to be like, oh, I've been tapping all my lands every single time I get a chance, you know, kind of thing. By the way, I love the name Belladros. I think it's great. It just rolls off the tongue really well. But I think this card's really good. Um, it has the Verdant Force ability, like you said, so it's every upkeep, it's yours and theirs. So if they don't kill it immediately, you get some extra value off of it. And then the creatures themselves having a non-irrelevant ability, I think is big. And I think this is a cool card for, 
if there is some kind of black-green mid-range or black-green, maybe black-green-blue ramp deck, you know, there's like a soul tie ramp deck or whatever, I think this is a card that, like, you can play main and, you know, you said, like, I don't see it, you know, very good against aggro decks, and I, I kind of agree with you there because it's a 4-4 four, four flyer for 7, you know, blah, 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 but I will say this. I think this is better against aggro than people think. The fact that the if the one ones are remotely relevant, I think this card is going to be very hard for them to beat. Because they're going to be blocking, you're going to be attacking with your 4-4 four, four, and then triggering the life gain. And like if you're playing this on like turn 5, let's be real, you're probably trying to play this on like turn 5. And if you're not dead by then, you know, if you're not just like dead on board or whatever, this is a card that could be pretty good. Especially once we don't have to, have to deal with Ember Cleave anymore, so blocking becomes a little bit easier against the aggro decks. You know, so remember blocking. You remember blocking and not taking seventeen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> What's the thing? I think Reed Duke said it once. He's like, I, th- I think, I think a good format is when you can block. You know, if, like you can actually block in a format, then it's good. And we haven't had that in a while, but yeah. So I think this is a card that, like, yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. A lot of upside. We'll see, right? Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a, a wait and see card. It's not, you know, obvious to me that it's going to see play, but I haven't really heard anybody talk about it, and it's definitely an interesting one to me. Uh, last card I want to talk about is Culling Ritual. This is two black green for sorcery that says destroy each non-land permanent with mana value two or less, then add a black or green for each permanent destroyed this way. So a really nice sideboard card against aggressive decks that is going to, you know, be a good sweeper that you can then follow up with something. You know, whether it's like a ramp spell, I could see casting Culling Ritual, killing two of your opponent's things, and then casting Emergent Sequence. You know, make make two green mana, cast them, and then you're ready to, you know, play a six drop the next turn, like Professor Onyx or uh, uh, whatever six drop you want to cast. Um, and, and, you know, or, you know, getting closer to Emergent Ultimatum if you're playing that deck. Um, so just a really, really strong sideboard card to me. Um, and... You're you're gonna want to make sure that you've got good one and two mana spells to go along with it, you know, m- mostly ramp spells because or maybe a discard spell too. That that's a that's a nice thing to follow up this card with, right? You're you're sweeping your opponent's battlefield and then you're like, okay, now let me see what your follow up is and, and disrupt that. So a lot of ways to take advantage of it. Um, you know, normally when you're playing sweepers like uh, like this, it's just taking your entire turn. So I always love sweepers that let you do a little bit of something else. Uh, because it really just puts you very far ahead. So uh, I imagine this is a card that I am never going to cast, but is going to be cast against me over and over again. So I will learn to hate it. But right now, I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, it seems really good against Luris decks, right? Like this seems just infinitely broken against the decks that are just trying to put, you know, a whole bunch of one and twos and, and grind you out that way. Because like you said, uh, the fact that it adds colored mana as well, it adds black or green, is unbelievably huge and it's not like mana drain or anything like that in the past where you get something plus colorless so it's like well you gotta you know work around the mana a little bit and stuff too so yeah i think if on average if this card can do something else like you said you know something behind it i i think this is going to be a card that's going to be very good but like a sideboard card kind of like we talked about with um what is it uh shadow verdict or whatever that's in standard you know i talked about it a lot when it was on the the, the preview tra- uh the trailer and, and i'm sorry the preview trailer jesus the uh the spoiler sorry i'm out of it today i talked about that card a lot when it's on the spoiler because i thought it was going to be good and it took a little while to you know to gain uh gain popularity but it just it, i didn't think it was gonna be as main deckable as, as it was but i thought it was a good you know answer to, to aggro decks and this, this is a card that's kind of in the same vein right like if, if there's a deck that this is really good against this is going to be game breaking 
of four mana. You know, turn four, you cast this, you do you kill their things, and like you play something to draw a card, you play something to discard a card from, you play literally anything for like two or three mana, and they're gonna die. Like they're they're it's too much for them to deal with. Like you've now like you've broken serve and you've like an, you've taken initiative. You know. Yeah, it really is like uh, th- this card is gonna lead to disgusting turns. That's the kind of thing that I'm usually looking for is like cards that really can, you know, completely turn a game around. Oh, oh yeah. Especially in like today's magic where it's a lot more swingy. There was a card I wanted to ask you about. And and if you think that this one can make uh, some waves in standard or whatever, because I do think this card might have some possibility and it's a uh, reject the new quote unquote mana leak. Uh, it's like one in a blue. It's an instant. It says counter target creature or planeswalker spell. Unless this controller plays three, if the spell is countered exile it instead I see this card, and it kind of jumps off the page right away, but it's a little restrictive, and then, I'm not sure, right? It just matters how the format wor- works out, and this needs to be enough targets against enough decks, because, like, this isn't the kind of card you want in your sideboard, right? Like, this is the kind of card you want to have as a main deck card. Yes, definitely w- want to have it as a main deck card. It also, I think, it is going to play better in a format where people are tapping out for five and six mana Planeswalkers, and that's just not what standard is about right now. The planeswalkers are pretty underpowered in the, in this format, and instead they're casting you know emergent ultimatum. Like I, if I'm if I'm main decking a counter spell, I need to be casting. I need to be countering the payoff from the ramp deck, right? Right. Uh, and Re- reject doesn't do that. So like this is a card that would see play in other standard environments, uh, but this one it just doesn't really fit. Oh yeah, I can mostly agree with it too. I was just seeing what you know your opinion of it was. Uh, a few other small things. Uh, I was going to say I don't know if you've seen this card. These are cards that you know tickle my fancy, and I'm, I'm excited about unlimited. Uh, this is a tan and gray card all over. Have you seen Spell Satchel? Uh, this is the the two mana artifact. Yeah. Yeah, it was so Magecraft. Yeah, has Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant sorcery spell, put a book counter on it. Tap, remove a book counter. Add a colorless or three tap. Remove three book counters from Spell Satchel. Draw a card. Um, yeah, it's cool. I don't think this is a constructed card, unless something really weird happens, but here's the thing. I will first pick the shit out of this. It's unlimited. I don't know, like, because you know me, I'm going to try to force the red-blue spells decks in this format. I love it. Uh, I think this card's sweet. It's really good with learn, obviously, as well, uh, you know, because you get, you get multiple spells off of it most of the time. You know, like, usually you're playing a spell that has learn into another spell that has learn, so, like, you're, you're kind of, like, doing it when it comes to card advantage, and you're just going to keep going. Because generally your deck's going to be a little worse than your opponent's. They're going to have creatures while you have like really bad sorceries and instants and stuff. So you need to have some card advantage and some you know some other ways to get through that. So I think this card's cool. It just kind of it's one of those cards. Um, what was it in the last set we talked about it? You know, Path to the World Tree. I was like I highly anticipate myself taking this card a lot and losing a lot with it. I didn't realize that I was just completely wrong. That I'd be taking that card a lot and winning a lot with it. Thankfully, um, I can't wait till the stats come out. You know, when the new set come out, you get you get your stats from the old set, like how many games you've played. And I want to see, uh, you know, they, they tell you your most drafted commons and uncommons and stuff. And because it's, it's not like Magic Online where I can see how many times I've taken Path to the World Tree. And I want to see if any other card is even close. I, I think maybe one or two are, but it's it's got to be a very high number. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I like the idea of being able to generate mana early and then cards late. Because, you know, mopey card advantage cards are, are usually a liability early in the game and are great top decks. So that that duality is really nice to see. 
I mean, it does it does curve really well, right? Like, you put it on turn two, you're not really maybe doing anything, but on turn three, you're generally going to play, like, a removal spell, a counter spell, like, some kind of, you know, a, a divination slight type card, you know, something along those lines to draw a card, do something positive, put something on the board, and you'll add a book counter to it. So then you have five mana on turn four if you want. And, like, you know, that might roll you into a Planeswalker, that might roll you into a big drop in Limited or something like that. So, like, it's going to curve well when you play it on turn two, and then it's going to snowball from there as the game goes on. Because then you're going to know, like, hey, I'm going to be running low on resources from this point on, so I'm not going to use it for mana anymore. Or you're just like, I use this for mana twice, and then it was very good. You know, kind of thing. So, like, now I'm super far ahead of my opponent. Because, like I said, when you look at the cards in the set, especially the red-blue ones, and, like, I, I just think the Satchel is pretty much a red-blue card. You can play in other color combinations, obviously, but... You, know, you look at these cards and they're all like seven mana, eight mana. You know, like you talk about Magnum Opus and stuff like that. You know, this card is good. It's very powerful, but it's also a lot of mana. But if you can make yourself cast it like a turn or two faster in a game, like that's that's something you should be interested in. You know, like this, this these are these cards are very powerful. Yeah, and that's one thing I've been impressed with with the Is it cards in Standard is their ability to just generate so much mana with all of these treasures. And Spell Satchel is definitely a way for you to mimic that. Uh, you know power of, of is it in in limited mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely now um there's one more thing that i, I wanted to talk about like now I, I kind of alluded to this earlier there's there's a, f a few things right that, that they spoiled and i will say this the the white commander deck overall i, I like the i like the the deck a lot i i feel like i'm gonna buy one just because i think the cards in are gonna be super expensive but there is a card that got previewed in the commander set um that i'm very interested in and I don't know if you've even seen this, and I'm interested in this in Eternal formats. And this isn't, I think interesting is the best way to put this. So you're going to have to listen to this when it's wordy. It's Keen Duelist. It's one and a black for a 2-2, and it's a human wizard. Okay. At the beginning of your upkeep, you and target opponent each reveal the top card of your library. You each lose life equal to the mana value of the card revealed by the other player. This is what everybody's missing. Um, you each put the card revealed into your hand. So it's a two mana two two. During your upkeep, at dark confidence, you and your opponent, and then you take damage equal to that card of what your opponent revealed, and your opponent takes damage of what you revealed. I'm interested in this card. I don't know if it's going to be good, but it's one of the ones I look at it, and I start you know the wheels start turning, and I just like th I think of like this with brainstorm obviously and some other stuff, but like the thing is if if you're going to make this a theme like a thing you want to do in your deck. It's going to be hard to always pull off because it's, you know, you only get four copies of this card. It's, just a, it's a two mana, two, two. It's going to die or whatever. But there's some other cards in the formats that you can do along with this that are pretty good. Like Yukaro, the, 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 the blue-black ninjutsu commander card is actually like fringe playable in Legacy. And so like I'm thinking of decks like this that are just like blue-black decks that have a lot of good tempo cards. And then some like really expensive uh, blue cards, you know, to go along with this to deal a lot of extra damage it, it quickly. You know, I'm thinking of cards like, you know, Gurmag Angler, because that card's blue, and uh, Force of Will, and stuff like that. So lots of cool things to go along with this that you can do, while you're also just playing, like, Days, Force, you know, removal Spells, Thought Seizes, and, like, I can see myself doing this, you know, because, like, it's, it's, it's good enough against enough of the decks. The odd thing is, is, like, I can't wait for someone if this is a, if this is a playable card and I want it to be. I can't wait for someone to play this, right? And then like their opponent says go and it's like their upkeep. You know their opponent ponders or something. They're like all right, reveal and, and they just reveal Emrakul from their show and tell deck and they're like all right, take fifteen. Like you're probably you're probably you're probably bad. Yeah, like, probably want to side so, that out against show and tell. Yeah, so probably want to side that out against show and tell. Or maybe this is a sideboard card against some other stuff. But 
I don't know. It's just it's 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 along the vein of the dark confidant creatures that we get all the time, and this one intrigues me. I had to read it like three times to make sure I got it right because there's a whole lot of you do this, they do that, then you do the opposite, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So <laughs> spin it around three times, then high five <laughs> exactly. each other, but not yeah, actually. Exactly. There's still a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, okay. Are you? That sounds like a. Uh, it sounds like an unglued card. <laughs> yeah, and you do the hokey so did pokey. I ever tell you- yeah, did I ever tell you about my my really funny unglued story? Or is unglued the first one? It's yeah, unglued, right? Okay, so uh, I used to go to Gen Con pretty often, right? Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, it's a convention the convention that goes on in Indianapolis. It's like probably one of the biggest game conventions in the country, and it's very like board game, card game centric, right? You know, like Magic's big there. Like it got like unveiled there like a long time ago. Anyway, a lot of fun if you could ever go to one. Whenever everything's not crazy, more highly recommend it. Very cool, a lot of fun. Um, one year, um, I'm there, and I think Unglued was new. Like, it had come out or whatever, right? I think they were having, like, the Unglued World Championships, or they had some Unglued tournament, but I think it was limited, right? And uh, anyway, it's, like, it's playing out, and um, at the, at this point, I think it's, like, the second or third day I've been there. I haven't slept a lot. Anyone who goes to Gen Con knows you don't sleep a lot. You know, it's just, a, it's, it's like Woodstock for gaming, right? Like, everyone's, you know, just going nuts and having fun, right? The one time I went, I played a sealed tournament that started at midnight. I also played in one of those. I wonder if it was the same one. I top aided with the worst deck ever. But anyway, I top aided with the best deck ever. Yeah, you. <laughs> you it, it's hilarious. We may have actually been in the same top eight, and it'd be hilarious if we played or something. But uh, uh, I, we, probably, we, we did. We definitely didn't play. I actually lost in the top four to Seth Manfield. Okay, that would that would be me. I would also lose to Seth Manfield in the top four of large limited tournaments that they'd be Grand Prix. Anyway, um, so here's the story. I'm I'm kind of like being around the way. So they're, they're playing or whatever, and I'm just like walking around the hall. And I hear this commotion kind of going on or whatever. And I like walk over and watch and like either get the story retold to me or I saw it happen. I can't remember exactly how, you know, I, it's, it's been 15 years, but anyway, yeah, it's like late in the game. And like, I think this is, you know, either the finals or it's, it's a, it's a, it's a late, late important match. And one of the opponents, one of the uh, players is getting beat down by, I don't remember the name of the card, but it has denim walk. So if your opponent is wearing like jeans or whatever has denim on, this creature's unblockable, you know, like Forest Walk or whatever. So the dude just like, you know, takes some damage and he's like, God damn it, you know, he's like they're playing. And so the guy's like, attack you uh, with these creatures. And he goes, okay, before blocks, the, the defending player gets up, undoes his belt, and takes his pants off. And goes, block. And everyone gets like real quiet and people start laughing. And so a judge gets called over. And I think they had judges specifically for this event because they're like, there's got to be some crazy shit going on with the rules or whatever. <laughs> And the judge comes over and goes, I'll allow it. You can block. He is not wearing he's not wearing denim or whatever. So the block happens. There is actually a rule in the rule book of magic now that says you cannot take your pants off during the match of a <laughs> during a magic match, and that's why. <laughs> that is awesome. So I remember seeing this happen and just losing it. Also, they were like Oh, there's a lot of like old school getting played. I remember, the, I don't know why I remember this too. People were trying to do like the they're they're filming the highest chaos orbs, and someone brought a ladder, so they like set up a ladder, and security got really mad. But they were like, you know, ten feet above the thing, and you can't see me at home at Roth's. See me, I'm like holding a card over the table and like trying to drop the card from whatever and hit it with you know chaos orb and stuff. So there's there's some really cool stuff. Highly recommend you go to Gen Con ever if you can. Um, hashtag not sponsored. You maybe call some people about Gen Con and maybe get some sponsorships, but. Yeah. Maybe. You never know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, did you have any other cards you want to talk about, or do we want to transition into a little overrated, underrated? 
you know, honestly, there's there's some other stuff in here, but it's more like commander and like limited. And we're going to be talking pretty specific about some cards next week. So let's just go ahead and move into. Yeah, we're we already done an hour a lot and a half the, in. Yeah, let's let's get some of this overrated, underrated uh, done with. I'm pulling it up right now. All right. Um, let me see where we're at because I don't know if we've caught up on everything. <laughs> All right. So here, here's here's we'll start with this one. Kevin says the Ohio State University. What do you what do you say, Ross? Um, overrated. Uh, I'm going to go with overrated as well, except for you can't really overrate anything that's got the in front of their names. All right. Uh, Massimo says salsa. Underrated. Uh, massively underrated, obviously, all forms of it. Yeah. Ch- chips and salsa is like one of literally one of my favorite snacks. Honestly, like when I think about being able to hang out with the homies again, like post COVID or whatever, I actually had a dream about this the other day and I woke up because it was like so good. It was like. Me, you, and like Brennan and Jim, it was like, you know, the, the old squad or whatever. And we were just sitting around a table and we had like chips of like guac and queso and stuff like that. And I just walked up and handed everybody like a Corona or something. It was very, very uh, commercially, you know what I mean? But I, honestly, I've never wanted anything more in my life right now. You know, like just being able to do that kind of thing. Yeah, Leo the Magic Man said, oh, I never got the follow-up on the taquitos after the poll. And I had to remind him that uh, you got destroyed the landslide, the taquitos are busted. Uh, but your poll was not the what we what the argument was about. Yeah, yeah. Like, no one was arguing that taquitos aren't good. I was just that's saying the way you phrased it, though. Yeah, it's about overrated or underrated. They're different mm-hmm. things, Tannen. Sure, sure. Uh, Kvet also a- asked about tapping, untapping to time someone out in a match. Did you hear about this recently? I don't know. I don't want to go too far. Yeah, yet, this was like a thing. Obviously, I'm going to say I'm going to say one thing. Grow the fuck up. Yeah, yeah just don't do stupid shit like this. Like, Come on. It, it embarrasses you and the other person. Um, this one I'm going to have to leave to just you. Someone said, uh, the Tramp said, the high tie deck that Ross faced in the SEG Providence quarterfinals. Uh, so this was Feline Longmore? I, I had a I had an assumption. I, did, I didn't want to. I figured it was it was her. Yeah. Um, I don't really like know much about how their list was built. Uh, and, and it's obviously been a while, but I'm just going to go with underrated. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Um, Chase also says Spotted Cow. Spotted Cow is a well-known beer from New Glarus mm-hmm. Brewing Company in Wisconsin. Um, they don't ship out of Wisconsin, so you can only get it there. And that has created a kind of mystique around it. And Wisconsin people talk it up a lot. It's okay, but definitely overrated. I remember when Yingling was a lot like that. You could only get Yingling in like what was it, Alabama or something, or Georgia or something. It's, Some... it's made in Pennsylvania. You could get it, you okay. know, in like it was like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, maybe what like Western New York. But yeah, it's it's made its way down to my area, like towards the Panhandle and stuff. So it also says sandwiches. I'm gonna go with massively underrated. Joey from Friends would fight you if you think anything differently. But um, <clears throat> when I think of sandwiches, I don't think of just like you take a piece of bread, you put a piece of meat on it, a piece of cheese on it, you put another piece of bread on it. I mean, like an actual, like you're an adult, you know, like chop up some other shit. Yeah, you know, put like some toast like, your bread. You know, lettuce, tomato, onion on that sandwich. Get some artisan bread. Yeah, get some artisan bread, like something good, you know, get you a good brioche, you know, like some sourdough, like something good. Like, you know, this toast is a the sandwich. bread. You, you treat yourself. You know what I mean? This is, this is, you're, you're celebrating yourself with this time to eat the sandwich. Also, enjoy your sandwich. Don't just fucking scarf that thing down. I eat way too fast. I need to slow my eating down. Yeah. No, there, I, I imagine that this overrated, underrated got sent while the Twitter was doing sandwich tier list rankings. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, sam- sandwiches are great. Um, yeah. what, what what's what's the best sandwich? Everybody ranked Bon Me very highly, and that's appropriate uh, because Bon Me's Bon Me's are. are I might have to go get a Bon Me for lunch now. The the sandwich that everybody was underrating is egg salad. I actually had a nice egg salad sandwich yesterday. Egg salad is great. Uh, back when I used to eat there, I used to get egg salad sandwiches from um, Chick Fil A. They have egg salad. They, they, I think they used to. Maybe it was chicken salad, and I'm very confused. Yeah, they now. definitely have chicken salad, and those are different things. I, mean, I used to have egg salad sandwiches from somewhere. I think there was a place next to a Chick-fil-A that was like a mom-and-pop sandwich store, and that obviously they put out a business or whatever, and I remember their food was good. All right. Uh, Buzzy Dan says, puns and or wordplay. Underrated to a point. Uh, so puns overrated, wordplay underrated. I, I like puns when they're more subtle. They're not like her her in your face yeah you know well I, mean? like, I have to deal with cory baumeister twice a week making horrible well, puns and i'm not just saying this because it's me but like i i that's the way the way i do it i just like slip it in really easily that don't take that out of context like you ross this thing earlier i just like you know kind of find a way to insert it into a uh, god damn it there's no way to say this without sounding dirty <laughs> i find a way to do to, to make you know say a pun without having it like be in your face or, or, or overt or something. And like, you need to be like really listening to find it sometimes. And then they're not always on purpose either. Wordplay though, definitely underrated hundred percent. All right. Someone gave us a really meta one for next one. Zero cool says overrated, underrated, underrated. I'm going to go with, uh, not as underrated as it was to start with, but definitely underrated. And this just leads to Brent being underrated because he kind of came up with this whole idea and it was just amazing. Yeah, shout out to Brent, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, DLC says, and this is a good one since you and I can both attest to this, Blockbuster. Underrated. I'm going to also go with underrated. Did you Have you watched that documentary? I think it's on Netflix about the last Blockbuster. A, no, and I need to. B, how awesome is it that the company that destroys them, that like puts them out of business pretty much, like makes a documentary about them? I think that's just like kind of some, some real big energy shit so one of the points that was made it was actually that that narrative isn't really true um yeah yeah of course and it it was it was so they they were you know netflix was emerged as a competitor to blockbuster in the late 2000s but blockbuster was pretty well set up to you know win that competition so to speak and but the problem was was that like they were uh they had a lot of debt and they were over leveraged and when the financial crisis hit, Netflix was uh, able to stem the bleeding from that a lot more easily than Blockbuster was. So it was really like the the financial crisis, you know, they weren't in a position to, to withstand that, um, which was kind of interesting to think about. But, you know, Blockbuster is one of the, you know, it, it is one of the canonical like memories that people have of the 90s. You know, maybe late and, and, late 80s, too. And that's why I want to say underrated, because it's it's underrated to anyone who didn't really get to experience it. And then anyone who is going to experience the nostalgia here in a second when I start talking about it, it's going to understand why it's underrated. Because do you remember going to Blockbuster on a Friday night, picking out two movies, maybe a video game, getting your box of goobers or whatever it is you're eating, getting some popcorn and getting home and knowing the next six hours you got shit to do and it's going to be fun and you're going to be sitting on your couch Watching your shitty TV because God TVs were bad back then. Yeah. You're watching your you're gonna be watching your crappy Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie that you're gonna love every second of eating popcorn and processed you know chocolate. And you're gonna love every second of it. 
This is how old I am, Ross. I don't know if you ever got around this. I remember going on dates where sometimes Friday night date night would be like either make dinner or like pick up a pizza and go to Blockbuster and find a movie to watch. This was their original Netflix and chill. Yeah. No, the, the, like that, that was just a thing. And so Blockbuster, you know, was a part of, you know, the culture for that 20 years or so uh, in a way that the streaming services can't replicate. So, you know, obviously like, you know, the convenience of everything is really cool, but just the, there is so much nostalgia built up around Blockbuster now uh, that that is awesome. And what um, it actually reminds me of the, another thing I saw recently it was, I think it was the last summer during during the pandemic that the one remaining blockbuster. It's in Bend, Oregon. Okay, mm-hmm. it's still there, by the way. Yeah, still there. And last summer they they did a thing where they put it on Airbnb. Yeah, and let and you, people yeah, rent so it sweet. out and like turn it into a space where it just became like you know a home theater room. It and looks it, like, like the ba- Simpsons living room. Yeah, it's like the TV, the couch, like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Which like that is awesome. I would get, you know, 12 people together and rent that for a night and just, you know, do a movie marathon and oh. eat it. It had to be like, you'd have to eat like, eat. you'd have to watch like 80s and 90s movies or something. Stuff that was like during, you know, Blockbuster Prime and stuff. I would, I'd 100% do that. We'd travel to Bend, Oregon or whatever. I got some friends up there too, so we could, we could figure that out. Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'm in. I'm in for so many more things than I would have been before <laughs> the pandemic. So, all right. Uh, Joe at Mr. English says the Snyder cut. I'm going to, I'm going to see what your opinion is right away. I, I know you don't, haven't seen I don't it, but... know what this is. Okay. I've heard so of the it. justice league movie. Yeah. The justice league movie came out a few years ago and Snyder was originally the director. A lot of shit happened, including the death of his daughter. And he ended up like leaving the movie and they brought in Josh Whedon. And uh, this is where the real big problems of him started. You know, he went from like a darling child to like, couldn't do anything wrong to like the guy's literally unhirable now. Cause he's a giant piece of shit. Or whatever, but like, there. I won't go into that. But they changed the movie a ton, like a ton, a ton, and released it in the theaters. And it is the biggest pile of dog shit ever. Like the, the the original Justice Cut, Justice League cut is really, really, really bad. Uh, HBO Max, like a year and a half or two years ago, because people have been talking about this for years. They're like, release the Snyder cut, which is the cut of the movie that Snyder has, because he had said it on social media. He's like yeah, my movie is very different from this movie. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, you have a couple scenes that are different? He's like, no, I have hours of footage that's different. Like, actual hours of footage is different. He's like, my movie is completely different than this one. So people, there was like a hashtag that got like millions of usage. Like, Ben Affleck himself, who's Batman in the movie, was like, yeah, I released the Snyder Cut. It's it's just better. And I'm going to say it's massively underrated because the Snyder Cut, while having problems because it's a four-hour and something movie that isn't 100% cohesive, it's way better of a movie than, like, the piece of shit, like, two-hour thing that that they did. And it makes it even more bad and embarrassing when you see how much better this version of it is and what they put out instead and, like, the things that they changed, right? Like, the little things that they changed here or there, the things that they cut out. Like, one thing that stands out, there's, like... At the beginning of the movie, there's there's an action sequence or like a storyline of each individual character before they come together, right? Like you get a little bit of each character, right? You know, it's character building 101. You know, all of them, you know, persevering apart and then having to come together for the bigger threat. And in it, like Wonder Woman stops this like terrorist attack, right? Or these people are in this building and they're about to blow up a whole bunch of people. And there's like, uh, it looks like 
it, it looks like it's a, it, I don't get it. It looks like it's a bank. Maybe it's supposed to be some kind of museum or something because there's like school children there. I'm like, why are they on a field trip to a bank or something? But I, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, she saves a bunch of them and she like walks over to this group of girls and she's like helping them up. And then one of them just looks at her and they're like, can I be like you when I grow up? And she just looks at her deadpan and just goes, you can be whatever you want. And tell me what exact sees that. It's just like, nah, cut that shit. We can't, we can't be telling these little girls that they can be whatever they want. We can't have a positive female message in our superhero movie. Because we know that Gal Gadot is, is there just to be looked at. Especially if you see that his version of the movie, and like you're hearing some stuff coming out about it, that like he forced her into doing some scenes that were like kind of inappropriate or like really objectified her body and stuff a little bit more. And it's like, she's more than just a pretty face, man. She represents a really cool character. In fact, her first movie as Wonder Woman is like widely considered, and in my opinion, the best DC movie by far. Like, it's, like, the most cohesive as a movie. Anyway, I get really mad and angry about this kind of stuff because, like, you know, these these people make decisions for us for our entertainment, and then you see this and you're like, w- w- it's kind of like when Watsy makes really bad decisions. You're like, who was in this room? <laughs> yeah. What is going through your fucking head? Like, did no one see this and be like, well, well maybe, maybe we do it this way, right? And, like, in this version of the movie, like, Cyborg is actually a character when in the other movie he just has things happen to him. There's, like... There's no actual character development. The villain, actually, like, the main villain. Like, uh, the real villain is, like, Darkseed, but, like, there's, like, they're fighting Steppenwolf. It's it's confusing, but, like, in the first version, like, Steppenwolf has, like, no character arc, like, no lines pretty much other than, like, typical bad guy bullshit, like, I'm going to destroy you and stuff, you know? And, like, in this one, he has, like, motivation, emotion, like, there's other cool little, like, campy parts for people. I don't know. The movie overall felt great and better. I'm, I, it's awesome that we got to see it. Also, it had a uh, very re- redeeming part to it where at the end of the movie, there's what's called the nightmare sequence where you see like what could happen in the future, which is what they were setting up, which won't happen now because they're not going to finish this line. But in it, you get to see Jared Leto come back as the Joker, which little little unknown part of this. When, when HBO Max got Snyder to do this, they gave him like, you know, like $100 million or whatever. And they're like, hey, finish your movie. You know, like, do all the post-production. No new scene. Like, don't shoot anything. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And I'm thinking of the the, the the meme that everybody uses of Agatha from WandaVision where she's doing the wink. Like, sure, I won't do that. You know, like, you know, that thing. And he immediately called Ben Affleck and Jared Leto, and he's like, yeah, I wanted to do the scene. And they're like, yeah, we're, 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 we're coming. We're doing it right now. Like, I'm on a plane. I'm already on a plane. Don't, don't <laughs> yeah. say anything else. It's a, I'm, they, I'm they outside. They don't do shit anyway. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like, like, knocking on the door. So, like, I'm surprised my dog didn't start going nuts. Yeah, I'm right outside, so... They film this new scene, and it's a quite possibly one of the best interactions of Batman to Joker that's ever been in a movie, and it's it's amazing. It also kind of redeems Leto because like his original, you know, his movie with him being the Joker is it's it's not great. You know, like a lot of the, you know, there's some problems and stuff there, but I don't think we'll ever see any of them doing that again unless something changes. But I think it's underrated as a movie. I think it was pretty good, especially like I saw people complaining about it being four hours, man. I'm like, y'all, y'all got to pump those rookie numbers up with these like hour and 20 minute movies. I, I like long movies that are, if they're good. And then B, well, it, I don't want this to be something that always happens, but whenever, whenever I see movies that are good or you see potential in them and you find out later that like, they just got butchered on the cutting floor or like the director didn't really get to have the creative license that they wanted with this and it's not the vision that they had i always want to see what they did you know what i mean and like wh- why did they change because like a movie that i like a lot had something had it happen i'll never get to see the real cut and that's uh rogue one that star wars movie that i really like apparently it, it changed a bunch and there's a different cut of it and i would love to see those kinds of things but again that's like 
it's kind of a dangerous road if we go down that every time because it's going to start saturating it. I'm sure a lot of them will be bad and stuff. You know, like a lot of times they probably make the right decision with this stuff. So I think it's underrated. Very long-winded, sorry. Uh, KFET says, having previews for Strixhaven Mystical Archive and the regular set at the same time. Uh, overrated. I ca- I Overrated. I, yeah, I didn't really like as much the uh, this condensed preview season. And I kind of think it was mainly done so that they could have more time to do these commander previews. They're just releasing so much product now. Um, it felt like... At first, I thought I was, I was going to like it because we were just going to get cards faster and we weren't going to get stuck in the situation for Versus where, like, we build a deck on a Monday for a Tuesday show and then, like, Monday evening or Tuesday morning, a great card gets previewed for it. And we're just like, well, I guess we're shit out of luck. And, like, I don't really want to play the deck again just to try out the new card. Um, but as, as it turned out now, like, it, it was just sort of overwhelming. And now we're going through, you know, two more weeks of preview season and... You know, part of it is also that the, the set is underpowered, but it's hard to, it, it made it easier just, uh, you know, take the, you know, five or 10 cards they would show in a given day. It's like, okay, we got to build around these cards. And it, it sort of kept everybody focused and everything in line. And now it puts a lot more of the pressure on us to be like, okay, what have we played with already? What do we need to cover now? What are the other ideas? It just ended up being harder than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I, I can agree with you. Also, it was confusing at times too like there's so much going on and like i still don't know the difference between like it's there's like 17 paragraphs and all the different boosters you can buy for this i'm still not 100 percent sure what's in each booster so i don't know i'm confused a little overrated um this one happened on april 1st this is all and i love this topic april fool's jokes i think they're massively overrated and i think it's something that i think there's a lot of things that we should leave in the past once the pandemic is over and i think this is one of them yeah, April Fool's Day is horrible. Though, I do think our April Fool's joke on Versus was good. We had Stephen Green and Justin Parnell uh, do the intro to the show. So when, we, when it went live, they're just sitting in the, in the in the chairs and they're talking about how they're like, they're going to take over and how much better they are th- than us. And then, you know, five minutes in, you know, Corey and I you know, like, gave a knock and walked in. And we're just like, what are you guys doing? Was this door locked? Like, you know, we're here to do the show. Why, why are, why are you here? We just did, a, you know, a, an awkward interplay. Um, you know, my favorite funny thing, and they've done some really good funny things. One of my favorite funny things ever that SCG did was when Rob, the intern, did the Commander versus series for a day when they were like when they were out of town. And he only it's like the beginning of him doing a brawl deck or whatever. I don't know. Have you seen this? No. Someone tweeted the other day. It's like it's like a two minute video, and I cried. I laughed so hard because I think he's underrated. He's definitely underrated how funny he is. Director Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Rob's great. The, All right. So we're the, almost. Hold on. Sorry, I want to want to rant a bit about April Fool. April Fool's Day. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Because it fucking sucks. And the, the worst part is, you know, you're a normal human being. So you have you like don't anticipate April Fool's Day. It just it's just another day. So you go to sleep on March 31st and you wake up the next day and you like check Twitter or check the news or something, and you just see something ridiculous, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then five minutes later, you're like, oh shit, it's April Fool's Day, and you know this just isn't, isn't real, and you're just like, ah, this, you just wasted my time. And now, for the entire rest of the day, you just can't, literally can't trust any piece of information you were given ever. And it's just very annoying, it's just tiring, and you're like, what is, it's not even funny, it's not worth it, it just sucks. Can we just can we just abolish it? How do how do we go about doing that? Is that like a is that a thing we get? We need like a change.org petition 
<laughs> abolish April Fool's uh, Day, please. It's like we can add that and like daylight savings time and yes. a few other bullshit things to it. You know, don't even don't even get me started on some other stuff. But uh, we're almost caught up on overrated underrated. There's about three left, so I'm going to leave them for next week in case you know because people might have slowed down a little bit. We've also you know knocked out a ton. So also I skipped quite a few because they were like stuff that's like. Some things I don't want to talk about on the show, and other things I'm like, yeah, we've covered this in other ways and stuff too. So don't don't take it personally if I if I skip your stuff in here. Also, I might just have missed where we were, kind of stuff too. Uh, Ross, I'm looking forward to next week's episode where we have some. Uh, we're gonna try to put some top eights together. I know a bunch of my cards already, and I gotta say this: the more I look at it, I'm kind of with you. I'm kind of like more hopelessly optimistic about this set, and that maybe you the cards are a little bit better. Than optimistic. We think. Did I say yeah? You said hopelessly, I say? hopelessly optimistic. Did I say hopelessly? Oh, yeah, wow. which hopefully, is which is a hopefully. great phrase. Yeah, hopelessly optimistic. That's that's the name of our band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that or a sex tape. But anyway, um, <laughs> Tannen. I told it's you, man. I'm on one today. Let's it's go. A, it's a family show. Is it really? No, it's we're, not. It's we've not messed up a lot. Not at all. <laughs> all right. Fuck those kids. Anyway, <laughs> Ross, if, <laughs> Ross, if people wanted to hear or see more of you, where would they go? Best place is my Twitter. Uh, I am at Ross Hunnids. Uh, this one-stop shop to keep abreast of all of my content. Good place to ask me questions as well. Then my written content for Star City Games. My columns go up on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, this week was about Awaken the Blood Avatar, which is the reverse side of Extus. Uh, really cool card that I think it, it can uh, potentially revitalize the the Rakdos decks. Um, then there is Versus Live, uh, the you know, show I do twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the Star City Games Twitch channel Tuesdays and Thursdays, one to four p.m. Right now we're in the middle of Strixhaven preview season, but you know we're generally focused on whatever formats are relevant for competitive play. Uh, you know we have a good time doing it. Great to watch live because you can ask us questions live in the air and we'll answer. If you can't catch us live, you can watch the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel. They go up the following day by 5 p.m. So Tuesday and Thursday shows go up Wednesday and Friday, respectively. Uh, and then there is my stream. I promise it's coming back. Uh, I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. If you want to give me a follow there so that you can find out when I do uh, pick that up again, I would really appreciate it. And Tannen, where can people find more of you? Should they I have a question first. go insane? How's, oh yeah, sure. I, I have a question. How's your computer coming along? Uh, it's um, it's still in the same place it's been in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to get it fixed, right? Yeah, I still haven't looked at it. God, you're the worst. <laughs> All right, so sh- 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 <laughs> I love you, Ross. Don't ever change. Uh, should you go insane, you can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. And you can find me on Twitch at Tannen Grace. Uh, I've been a little lax the last like week, week and a half, just because we're in that weird lull period where like yeah, the, the formats the are kind of getting yeah, the stale. There's the new stuff. I've been streaming Cube quite a bit. You know, I might even do it today if I get bored because I've been I've been enjoying the Cube quite a bit. It's a little different than the last one, which I like the fact that it's different. You know, it's not just the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um. So this a lot week's of the Mango Cube, and... right? Andre Mango Cube. This week's the Mango. I don't. Or no, you're talking I just about do the cube. arena? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't have Magic Online on my computer right now. Um. So, uh, yeah, so there's that stuff. I will be playing quite a bit of Strixhaven. And when I say quite a bit of Strixhaven, I mean l- large, large, large amounts of Strixhaven. Uh, so make sure you check that out. Um, as for the stream, uh, the stream, as for the podcast itself, it has a Twitter. Make sure you check it out. 
Uh, we have uh, Patreon. Check that out. And uh, Brent wanted to let everybody know he's he's been busy with work. He got his COVID shot and he got really sick. So he's been a little behind, but the playmats are going to be going out as soon as possible to everybody in there. So if, if you're one of the people that was getting one and you haven't gotten Brent your address, make sure you get him your shipping address so you get your stuff sent out. Also, it would be remiss if I didn't speak about our sponsor. Make sure that you check out barristerandman.com for all of your soap, um, shaving, beard, hand soap, smells, perfume, yeah, all cologne All of needs. your smells. Yeah. Hey, man. All of them. Uh, I was going to say, I got some stuff coming in the mail right now. I got some new stuff the other day. Uh, they got the Diamond Series out, which I'm a big fan of. Make sure you check that stuff out. Um, somebody was actually tweeting the other day. They got a huge a huge package from Barrister and Man. Yeah, they did. It all sounds... Yeah, I'll say this all sounds so dirty. Uh, they got a huge shipment from Barrister and Man the other day of a bunch of stuff, and I was actually quite jealous. I might have to go back and order a few other things, but make sure you check out their stuff. Um, that's barristerandman.com. Make sure you use the code MTGRANTS for 15% yeah, off. And remember, it's two, two ends in man. Yeah. As I was say, I was going to go one week without saying it and see if you noticed, and you did. I appreciate it. All right, Ross. Well, uh, thanks for sitting around and dealing with me today. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I'm starting to feel a little bit better, and I'm hoping it didn't come off <laughs> horrible for everybody at home. So, uh, all right. I got some stuff to do today. I know you do as well. So let's go ahead and end the show here. We'll see you all next week with our top eight cards from Strixhaven. <laughs>